0: the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back
1: with Gene and Chris on the Paracast. Now, last week, ladies and gentlemen, as those of you who listen know, we had Rosemary Ellen Guiley talking about her latest book about the gym. And that has
2: started a very vociferous, to have discussions like Frankenstein and the, the villagers with the the, the fire uh, torches and the picks and uh, pitchforks, I love it. Fire! 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 So basically, here if the djinn turned up, we'd probably kill them. No, but the gin would have a field day with the villagers. <laughs> okay, so
1: let me ask you a question then: If a gin, okay is being attacked by a mob of people. What do they do? Do they use their magic to defeat them? No, maybe some Clorox
2: and an autoclave. Okay. Honestly, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) That was a bad joke, Gene. You know, Rosemary has been in the field for 30 years. Uh, She's helped hundreds and hundreds of people. She has studied all sorts of unusual occurrences that have been centered around oftentimes uh, specific locations. I mean, the woman's written over 50 books. She's written nine encyclopedias. She has a really quite a command over the folklore and legends and uh, cultural interpretations of unusual events that stretches back thousands of years. And I, I think that we should at least have a listen to what she says. She's not claiming that she's come up with some sort some sort of scientific answer, possibly why I responded uh, and, and jumped to her defense uh, the way I did, and then of course was attacked for that, was because in in many ways I feel that my work, in uh, attempting to identify a mechanism that may tie together paranormal phenomenon, which I which I feel is a, has a tricksterous quality to it, you know, I was taken to task for this too about pseudo scientific mumbo jumbo new age bourgeois and all this stuff and you know i think i've come up with a with a a pretty interesting new sort of pair of glasses and a new form of insight into some sort of potential causal mechanism that may tie together paranormal phenomena and i think rosemary in, in, in much the same way has identified another culture's interpretation that's ancient of something that may be misinterpreted in other cultures as ghosts or poltergeists, or you know any number of you know t- tags and terms that have been applied to these uh, phenomenal events. So, you know, I, I feel that instead of uh, attacking the messenger, why not listen to what she says and and maybe instead of casting judgment that she's just being superstitious and looking at a bunch of lowbrow Neanderthal legends and and superstitions, maybe she's onto something. I don't see anybody else coming up with any, any sort of creative thinking. They all want everything nice and, and pat in a little Petri dish that they can replicate. Oftentimes, breakthrough proto-science, if you will, doesn't, doesn't work that way. We need to identify some sort of causal mechanism or, or, or some sort of causal agent before we can then attempt to experiment with it. And I, I, I just I, I find it very disingenuous for our, for our foreign posters to be so um, passive aggressive in their in their attacks. It, it, it doesn't serve the progress of this field any good. And it just ticks off me, the moderator. And if I want to get into a flaming war, then all I have to do is bring up a couple of topics and duck and cover. You know, So I'm off my soapbox now. Gene, what do you think about it? Well, I think part of the problem is when you're dealing with something like this, a lot of people are
1: looking for nuts and bolts. So when they look at UFOs, UFOs have to be spaceships. They have to be physical craft that we can touch. They have to obey what we
2: interpret to be the laws of physics. Well, see, that's the thing, Gene. They think they have have found the nuts and bolts, and they're, they're, they're saying Rosemary and I are nuts. Well, probably we're all
1: nuts. But the key is here is we haven't found any nuts and bolts. That's the big thing. I had an article in last week's PowerCast newsletter where I was basically mentioning the fact that we've had a number of UFO photos taken, but very few are really clear enough to interpret them as one thing or another, assuming that a fair amount aren't just faked. This doesn't mean that UFOs can't be photographed, but it means that getting the nuts and bolts and proving the hard evidence is really difficult. We haven't been able to do it so far. And if we just restrict ourselves to one possible solution, and some people very early on decided that UFOs were spaceships, couldn't be anything else. If we look for the simple solution, which you think, spaceships, how could that be simple? But based on what we know about astronomy now, it's probably fairly simple. You know, we have a more advanced civilization on other planets in the universe. They want to venture forth into the cosmos, find Similar creatures look for life, and they come upon us. That's not a complicated thing to imagine. That's possibly true, but there all. are a lot of things going on there that may or may not be related to any physical visitation by E.T. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree. Uh, we've had too many cases of occupants getting out and gathering flowers like it's the first time they've ever seen them.
1: It's almost like an act. We're seeing, for example, a hologram or a playback of something, or maybe the reason they keep looking for flowers is it's a training expedition. You know, let's go visit that primitive planet they call Earth, and let's pick up some plant samples to see how you do it. If you think about it for a moment, the movie E.T. the extraterrestrial, where they were gathering plants or whatever, that creature was a child. It's like summer camp. So instead of having summer camp in the Adirondacks or something, you have summer camp on Earth.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's plausible. I, I just, there's just something about it, the theatricality and the absurdity of it that doesn't add up. Uh,
1: to. And then E.T. puts on a show for giving the best performance to fool those dumb Earthlings.
2: Yeah. It doesn't add up for me.
1: You see, that's part of the big thing about UFOs is we take things too much at what appears to be face value. Okay, E.T.'s here. E.T. says they're here to help us rather than to harm us. Whatever E.T. supposedly tells us, we believe them. We believe what we see, that what we see is an accurate representation of the real phenomenon. just like we believe
2: our government.
1: Oh, please don't get me started with that. I don't care what your politics are. How do we believe governments? That's another big thing about the way the world has changed. Years ago, we believed our government. You name the country. Nowadays, it doesn't matter who's in charge. I think very few people believe them. And in the Twitter and Facebook generation, information gets circulated so quickly that if people disbelieve what's being said, they have a way and out to deal with
2: it. Right. And 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 then when we started to uh, realize that we really couldn't believe our governments, then we, we relied on the, uh, the fifth estate, the media, to give us... Uh, the proper information. Now the people that buy off the politicians and the government are the same ones that own the media, so you can't can't believe them either.
1: Right, you know, they talk about liberal media, conservative media, it is corporate media, large corporations own the media, and do you think they will allow their news divisions to report negative things about those corporations? Today we're going to feature Grant Cameron, and he's coming back to talk about a newly updated book. It's a new version of a book he wrote some years back. It's called UFOs Area 51 and Government Informants. And of course, the subtitle is a report on government involvement in UFO crash retrievals. We know what he's going to talk about. That's Grant Cameron, and he wrote that with T. Scott Crane. And just as a sidelight here, Just very recently, I had lunch with Scott Ramsey, who wrote the book about Aztec, and he says there's going to be a new edition coming out, and he thinks there's more compelling evidence out there, so we'll have to see. In the meantime, we have so many questions in our question bank for Grant Cameron, we may not have to do any work ourselves. Just read the questions. We have one that sets a record with over two dozen questions, Grant Cameron, author of UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants. With Gene and Chris, you're in The ParaCast. Neighbors, you know what I believe? I believe that successful teamwork is a foundation for successful business. And when you meet face-to-face, well, of course, you work more effectively. But with clients and co-workers spread out across the globe... And on the go, coming together can be impossible. Which is why I use GoToMeeting with HD Faces. It's the powerful and simple way to meet and collaborate online. With GoToMeeting, it takes just a click to share your screen and work on your documents in real time. And with a webcam, you can see everyone in HD video. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Don't wait for this special offer visit go to meeting.com click on the try it free button use the promo code podcast be sure to use the promo code podcast that's go to meeting because remember neighbors meeting is indeed believing
3: Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this Reason Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237.
4: In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you had the amazing life straw from MyPatriotSupply.com. LifeStraw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. LifeStraw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency, like a flood. LifeStraw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing LifeStraw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault. 20 seed varieties for only $37.95. Tattler canning lids. Long-term storable foods as low as $69 and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence.
5: We've lived in this neighborhood for years. We have an alarm system, and all of our doors have deadbolts. They kicked in our door and were in and out of our house in about five minutes. The police arrived in about 20 minutes, but they were long gone with our TV jewelry and my guns. I kept thinking, what if my family had been home? The police officer said that more than 85% of break-ins are through a door, and that deadbolts alone don't stop intruders. The officer told me to go to easyarmor.net if we wanted something that would actually stop an intruder. Easy armor reinforces all of the weak points on your doors and is guaranteed to prevent kick-ins. I was surprised at how little easy armor costs. And I installed Easy Armor in about 30 minutes.
6: Visit EasyArmor.net. That's the letters E-Z-A-R-M-O-R.net. Or call 888-58-ARMOR. That's 888-582-7667.
0: EasyArmor.net. Ultimate door security made easy. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Joining us on the Paracast this week is Grant Cameron. He and T. Scott Crane wrote a book called UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants, subtitled A Report on Government Involvement in UFO Crash Retrievals. Grant, welcome back to the Paracast. And the first question I have here is, this book is evidently an update to a previous book. Can you tell us a little bit about the previous book and what do you think has changed? Very briefly, we'll get into more details as we go along.
7: Okay, Gene. Uh, basically, the book I think was published in 1990, 1991. What has basically changed in the book is uh, was an, uh, sort of mostly an update to material that was in the book. We, in the original book, we had the Area 51 story. We had the uh, the Canadian government story, the Eric Walker p- president of Penn State University story. We had all that. And what happened was it had been published by MUFON. It was the first book published by MUFON. And basically, unless you were a member of MUFON, you couldn't buy the book. It wasn't in bookstores. There was no such thing as Amazon.com, stuff like that. So it were, it had its 1,000 run, and that was basically it. And uh, nobody really heard the story. What happened was that Richard Dolan, when he was putting out his uh, UFOs and National Security Part 2, had used some of the material in the book. He had gone through it and had put in the Canadian stuff and the Eric Walker stuff. Thought it was fairly good and came to me and basically said, could we do a, a an update and publish the book again? He thought there was some stuff in there that people should be, be notified of. What was taken out was the South African crash, which has always been very controversial. We had it in the original book. Uh, We took that out because I added about 100 pages based on new material related to MJ-12, Bill Moore, all all that sort of stuff. And so we pulled that, and we changed the name of the book from – it used to be called UFOs, MJ-12, and the Government – and we took out the MJ-12, not because it wasn't significant, because I did add quite a bit of material in MJ-12, but because it, the book was now sort of a book that was going onto Amazon.com to the public. And 99.9% of the people in the public really wouldn't know what MJ-12 was and probably couldn't care less.
1: Well, okay. But you had 100 pages about MJ-12, so certainly you care a lot about the subject. So Let's just re-educate some of our listeners, a lot of whom have heard about NJ-12, and we've had you on the show before. We've had other people who have explored the subject. We've had Stan Friedman. We've had people who do not believe in mj 12 as being real, such as Kevin Randall. So very briefly, tell our listeners once again what mj 12 is, and then let's go into that 100 pages of new material.
7: Okay. Basically, MJ-12 is the rumored control group. Supposedly, according to the documents that were released in the mid-1980s and officially released in 1987, it refers to a group that was started by President Truman, a group of 12 people who were sort of like scientific military-type people who control the information on the UFOs. It's basically, uh, the name's probably been changed, but it was a group that started in 1947, and they are the guys who run the whole show. Who were these people? Uh, Originally, it was uh, people like uh, Vannevar Bush, who uh, we always say is a significant name, who was the uh, science advisor to President Roosevelt, who was sort of the technological czar during World War II for all the military developments like the atomic bomb proximity fuse uh you know jet engine all the stuff that was developed during world war ii uh he was one of the key people on there you had people uh like various scientists the one that was uh, controversial was uh, menzel who was the uh great skeptic ufo skeptic his name appeared on there and when i when i reviewed it i say it really I, I, and, I'm, and there's a lot of controversy about this. I say basically the documents are all still phony. Uh, they're not real documents, but they are very significant documents in that what they're doing is trying to tell us a story. So the names on there really, I haven't really put too much significance in them. I, I'm more interested in all the documents as a whole because when you come right down to it, there's not just uh, the MJ-12 document, which was released by Bill Moore, Jamie Chandray, and Stanton Friedman in 1987, there are actually about 4,000 pages of uh, MJ-12 style documents, which indicates that this is an organization releasing this material. It's not uh, Bill Moore hosting it. It's not Richard Doty hosting it. This is an operation of some sort to try to get something out to the public. Okay.
1: But unlike what Stanton Friedman says, you don't believe those original MJ-12 documents as they were presented are genuine, that someone put it out there. Okay, so if someone put it out there, why? What message are they trying to deliver?
7: Well, I think they're trying to deliver the, the message uh, of MJ-12. They're trying to get this basic idea that there, there was there was a group. And it goes through the whole book. If you take a look at the whole book, there's a whole series of things that they want out, like the, the idea of Area 51. So we go into the whole Area 51 and my version of how it was set up. How they basically wanted out. They thought the story was going to fall apart. They didn't realize that Knapp was going to take this and run with it. But you're also giving us a
1: little bit of inside baseball here. So let's try to expand this. Knapp being George Knapp, a yes. Las Vegas TV broadcaster who also occasionally has been a co host or a guest host on Coast to Coast AM. Yeah, he's been and on who the podcast. We know him well. He does a lot of research. And he early on, did a lot of work in publicizing what Area 51 was all about. But I want to get back to MJ-12, and then we'll get into Area 51. We're kind of going over the map here. So I'm still kind of dim on this, and maybe you can explain in more detail for our listeners. We certainly hope they'll read the book. But in the meantime, that we have the fake documents. We want to send a message. Is that message strictly that the U.S. government took UFOs seriously? Forget about Donald Menzel or Vannevar Bush or any of those people? Yeah.
7: yeah, that there was a group, that there, there was a group that was, that was put out there. There was a control group and that it was taken seriously by the government and sort of indicating who these people were. The basic core of the thing is true. The reason I say that the original MJ-12 document is is, is not accurate, I used to think that it, it might have been accurate, was the fact that I now believe the evidence indicates there was a live alien at Roswald. And the, the basic original document talks about Roswell, and it talks about four dead aliens. So I, I would say that that's inaccurate. So, but basically, what it is is it comes down to Bill Moore, and Bill Moore is the guy who released the MJ12 document, who sort of was sort of the the sort of the puppet master of this whole organization. And the story goes back to his encounter. What people don't realize who haven't been in UFOs that long is that before Bill Moore came on the scene, nobody knew what Roswell was. Bill Moore had done this book called The Roswell Incident in 1980, and he became very famous for this. He got a lot of credibility from media people because it was basically like a documented type book. So before Bill Moore released that book, nobody knew about, about Roswell.
1: Now, we, so we should what- expand on this, too. The book was co-authored by Charles Berlitz. yes who wrote the Bermuda Triangle and the Philadelphia Experiment, and by the way, I knew Burlitz in those days, long yeah. gone. And also Stanton Friedman had uncredited participation yes. in the Roswell
7: book. And that's significant, which I'll explain in a minute. But Bill, Bill, the book is released, and as Bill describes it, within days of the release, he goes on a, a, uh, a publicity tour for the book, And he gets a phone call from, I believe it was Kirkland Air Force Base. uh, And this guy comes on and leaves a message with Bill. He doesn't take the call, but the the message is he's the only guy who knows what he's talking about. We're going to find out what he was talking about in a moment. Grant
1: Cameron, joining Gene and Chris. You're in The (laughs) Paracast.
8: The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Hey, neighbors.
1: Got a small business or a large company that needs to be online 24-7? Well, here's the little secret. To make sure your site is always online, you need world-class DNS service from Dyn. That's D-Y-N. For years, Dyn has been helping companies ranging from the scrappy young startup to the giant media moguls of the world with making sure websites are fast and always available and that your emails are getting delivered. D-Y-N. Get faster internet by using Dyn for D-N-S. Visit dyn.com slash podcast30. Fill out the contact form or start shopping right away and save 30% by using the promo code podcast30 at checkout. Again, visit dyne.com, that's d-y-n.com slash podcast30. Check them out today.
9: What's safer and cheaper than prescription drugs?
10: Glad you asked. The answer is renovation teas. Herbal remedies are much safer and much cheaper than prescription drugs. Taste great, and most importantly, herbal teas are effective and non-addictive. Renovation tea is especially unique, and here's why. We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. Are you still a traditional smoker?
12: Weakened by GMOs, stressed out about money, and blasted by the electric environment. Hi, I'm Pastor Jenny, and that was the state I was in back in 2010. Then I learned about RNA drops. I learned that 97% of my DNA that scientists have called junk is actually packed with millions of gene switches that play a critical role in controlling how my cells, organs, and other tissues behave. I learned I don't have to put up with disease decay or decline like I'd been conditioned to believe. I began taking RNA drops, a 100% natural formula designed to turn on those switches and provide me with amazing health and joy. Learn more about RNA drops and order a free sample today. Visit rnafreesample.com, that's rnafreesample.com, or call toll-free 888-577-3703. Pay only shipping and handling for a free 30-day supply of RNA drops. Get the information you need and the health you want at rnafreesample.com.
13: Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri?
1: The book is UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants. It's a reworking of an older book that goes back over 20 years. The guest is Grant Cameron. And now we're talking about... William Moore was the co-author of the Roswell book that Charles Burlitz participated in, the first major Roswell book that brought everything to public attention. He's on the first publicity tour,
7: and he gets a call from someone. Tell us more. So he gets the first call. He ignores the first call. The first call basically says you're the only guy that knows what you're talking about. He continues the book tour. A couple days later, he gets a phone call again. At the end of the show, there's a phone call that comes in and they say, do you want to take this phone call? And it's from at Air Force Base in, uh, in the Midwest. So Bill takes the phone call. It's the same message. You're the only guy who knows what you're talking about. We'd like to have a meeting. So Bill arranges this meeting. He meets with this guy who later would become known as the Falcon. And there are two falcons. This is the, the sort of the high-level CIA guy who's uh, in charge of this, this operation. He meets with Bill Moore, and he says a very critical thing. He says to Bill Moore, he says, I represent a group of high-level government people and we want the policies changed regarding UFOs and we're willing to help you and then the key is, he said, we're willing to help you without breaking the law and that's why I say all the documents have to be phony because you, if, whether you're the president and last year they went after Obama for uh, leaking classified material related to the drones and the, the hacking of the computers with the Iranian nuclear program, if they can go after the president for releasing classified material, the same thing's going to happen with anybody else. You release classified Material, you're going to jail. So basically, what they're doing is they're releasing material the original MJ tall document and all the rest of it is they're releasing very important material. But what you do is you fictionalize it. The same as if you're a CIA agent and you want to tell the story of how you saved America from imminent danger or whatever. And uh, they say, you can write up your story. What you got to do is you got to take the classified material out. You've got to change the dates. You got to change the names. You got to fictionalize the whole thing and then you can release your material. So that's what I believe they're doing based upon what Bill Moore had originally said. And Bill Moore's original situation was he was this very prominent author who just, released this very prominent book he gets this approach he he gets two two names he gets the the condor and the falcon and what he does is he goes and he runs this through the head of news at uh, cbs in los angeles and this guy vets these two guys and so bill moore when later when he's defending what he did said i did what any Re- researcher worth his salt would have done. I was approached by these two, these high-level people. I checked their credentials. It showed that they were who they claimed to be. They wanted to help me, and I think anybody would do the same thing I did. And basically, what he did is he stepped into the, the world of, of the government-classified material, and they started to feed him material. Now, what's significant that comes up is that in 1981... After he makes this contact with the Falcon and he starts receiving all this material, he states that the material is coming in so fast and so furious that he needs a partner. Now, as you pointed out before, Stanton Friedman had helped him with the Roswell story. And Stanton Friedman probably was the most prominent researcher at that time as he is now. Very long, long career, very respected. But does he go to... Stanton Friedman to get him to help with this. All this material is coming in in June of 1981. No, he goes to Jamie Chandray and in the UFO community all the years, we always wondered. A number of questions. Why did the original document, the MJ 12 document, arrive in Jamie Chandaray's mailbox? Why didn't it go to Bill Moore? And why did he, Bill Moore not pick Stanton Friedman to help him uncover all this material? Why did he go to Jamie Chandray, who was supposedly a, a producer, a TV producer, film producer in Los Angeles, who had no background in UFOs at all? Now, in an interview in 2004, bill moore did with greg bishop who was one of the few people he talked to after he left the field greg bishop has a radio show in los angeles he told uh, bishop on this show that the reason that jamie that jamie had a cia background that jamie had worked uh, for the cia on some various problems and issues and stuff like that and then in the book i released the fact that Bill Moore had been involved early on and that I identified Bill Moore also as a CIA asset. That Bill Moore had told a researcher by the name of uh, Bill Steinman, who helped us in the book uh, with various things, he had told Bill Steinman that he had been recruited by the CIA when he was at university and that he had done some some uh, footwork for the CIA he had written a number of reports for the CIA and then he had left the field and when he got into UFOs he reestablished his intelligence connections and that's how he got all these birds that's how he was able to get these high level people because he had this sort of background and uh, people would know that Bill Moore was, uh, was fluent in Russian. He could speak and write Russian. So he had this sort of background that had given him access to intelligence sources. So this is what's critical. He picks a Jamie Chandray, So you have these two guys who are basically CIA assets who... So it was a
1: put-up tri- job. Long and short of it is, this was a put-up job. Deliberately, you send this material, which happens to be fake. And if we look at it today, though, if I ask Stanton Friedman today, yeah. Stan... And I've known Stan for 30 years, over 30, 40 years, yeah. whatever. Are the MJ 12 documents the original ones? The so called
7: Eisenhower briefing documents? Mm-hmm. Is it real? He will say it is. Yeah, he'll say there's three real ones, and the hundred, other 100 documents that Bill and Ryan and Bob Wood got are all phony. Explain who Ryan is. Well, there was, a, a, as I said, there were thousands of other pages of documents that came out which came through a guy by the name of uh, Tim Cooper. And those were analyzed by Bob Wood, who had worked for uh, Douglas Aircraft, as an engineer, very respected, well-known guy, and his son, Ryan Wood. And they basically took these documents, and based upon what Bob Wood knew from his intelligence backgrounds and stuff, they started analyzing all these other documents that appeared after Bill Moore left the field. So these started to appear in 1991, 93, 94. There's a pile of documents that appeared. And they analyzed all these other, which were called the new MJ-12 documents. And Stanton would say, those are all phony, but the three that he got, are real. Same as now Robert Collins is making the statement saying that Bob Wood had determined that 80 percent of the new MJ-12 documents were real, which begs the the question if you've got friends inside the government who are giving you uh, real documents, if they're giving you 80% are real, why would the same friends of yours give you 20% of phony documents? It, it's the old question of, uh, of how do you determine what's real? I think the material that they're releasing, because I, I, I dealt a lot with Ryan Wood, and one particular document I thought was very significant and um, the, the the reason they wouldn't publish it was because there was a t- there was a, a spelling mistake. Uh, there, it, it was a um, thing that had to do with Curtis Lemay. I knew the background of the document. I thought it was very significant, and yet they spelled Curtis Lemay's name wrong on this document. So that was where I sort of got the idea that they were trying to get across very important material that would indicate uh, what was going on, and yet you do it in a fictionalized form so that nobody breaks the law. And that, that's basically how they're doing it. Okay. So, you know, I want to tell you that I'm listening to all this, and it's
1: very intricate, and we have thousands of pages of this stuff. Yeah. And I remember a line in a movie called Ruthless People where Danny DeVito uses the term baffle them with BS, and I won't spell out the term. And it sounds like they're doing that. They're just filling our minds with all this okay. nonsense. Well, it's, it's okay. classic disinformation, Gene. Okay, sure. l- well, but, okay. okay. Let, but then the point, being, the point being here is if you fill everybody with disinformation, but there is some real information among the core of this, how do we know then what that real information is? How do we prove that you information? Don't. How do we find the signal in all that noise? And thousands of documents... We're talking about an awful lot of noise there. We have right. Grant Cameron, who with T. Scott Crane wrote a book called UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants. The subtitle is a report on government involvement in UFO crash retrievals. And as you're hearing in the first part of this interview with Grant, there's a lot of stuff to go over. And we have so many questions. I'll tell you now, we probably won't get to all of them, just Chris and I getting... Coverage of our own questions is going to take a while. We're going to do our best. There's a lot of information here to dissect. If you have any comments or questions, neighbors, don't forget to write us news at theparacast.com. News at theparacast.com. With Gene and Chris, you're in The The Paracast.
8: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
13: Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies paranormal activity, and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free. Sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to UFO at WebTV.net That's MrUFO at at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. You've
14: heard about our MRE Smorgasbord. Now, Long Life Food Depot introduces the most unique, safe, and longest-lasting way to stash emergency food, the Eat Pod. Most survival food products recommend an ideal storage environment, including low temps, low moisture, and low oxygen. If you're storing in a basement too humid, garages and attics too hot, but the waterproof, double-walled, high-density polyethylene patent-pending Eat Pod is a unique roll-away food bunker that creates the perfect condition can be buried up to 30 feet and can keep your survival food supply safe, secure, dry, and virtually undetectable for 25 years or more. Get full details on The EatPod at eatpod.com, spelled E-A-T-P-O-D dot or call 800-601-2833. That's 800-601-2833. The Eat Pod from Long Life Food Depot. Since
15: 1983, sending real food to your real future. Over 50,000 satisfied squatting customers can't be wrong. If you suffer from difficult or painful bowel movements, join the thousands who are finding success with a Squatty Potty. Not a cleanse, ointment, or pill. Squatty Potty is a simple, lightweight, yet sturdy footstool that fits around any toilet and elevates your feet. Squatty Potty improves your posture, and that allows proper alignment of the colon. The result is faster, more effective elimination, and relief from nagging constipation, hemorrhoids, IBS, and bloating. Squatty Potty is doctor-recommended and endorsed and comes with a 60-day hassle-free money-back guarantee. The Squatty Potty, a healthy step in the right direction. Squatty Potty starts at just $34.95 and can only be ordered by calling 855-628-1099 or through our website, SquattyPotty.com, spelled S-Q-U-A-T-T-Y-Potty.com. Squatty Potty, healthy colon, happy life.
7: This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast.
1: We continue with Grant Cameron, with Gene and Chris in the Paracast, and now let's focus on the disinformation. So we're being inundated with all this junk, in the midst of which is some real stuff. So now, how do we figure out what the real stuff is and separate
7: it from all the junk? Um, well, it, that's, that's a problem. Let, let me address the, the disinformation because I say it's different. I say it's information covered with disinformation. Uh, let me give you two examples. Jacques Ballet talks about this. He said, you know, something really doesn't make much sense here. Why would the U.S. government go through all the work to create all this disinformation to disinform a group of people, ufologists, who really have no influence and no uh, effect? In the general public, we have nothing. We, I mean, you and I listen to your show, and there's going to be a, a, f- a few people listening to the show, but basically, nobody in the public really cares what we do. They, they, we really don't have any significant impact on the, the New York Times, Washington Post, on anything. We're basically just putting this thing. So the, the idea that the, they need to disinform us doesn't make any sense. They're basically trying to get us out of 1947. The idea they're trying to get across what valet hell put off and kit green sat down in 1987 and they looked at the same thing you got all this all this signal what is the noise what is the core story and that's what they called it the core story what is in all this stuff that we can basically believe what do we know for sure and their core story was basically the fact there'd been a crash That they've been back engineering the stuff, really doing very well, and the 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 idea of the live alien. Now, the second point about this is the idea of whistleblowers in the United States is is a United States phenomenon. It does not really happen in any other country. I come from Canada, and the Canadian government got out of the UFO business about the same time as the Americans in the late '60s. In the Canadian government, I've been in this for 37 years, I could not tell you whether the Canadian government is involved. I would not know which agency to point you to. I have no idea where their stuff is, who's running it. The idea of this thing of dropping all this material is an an American phenomenon. where all these people are coming out. Now, in the Canadians got out in the same time. They have not said a thing since uh, they got out of the UFO business. They just You, you don't know who to ask. There's no nobody uh, talking about it, and basically they're out of it. The American government was in exactly the same position in December of 1969. They got out of the blue book. It was a total PR nightmare. It was the worst thing that was going on because every time there was a sighting, they had to put a U.S. Air Force officer to make some sort of garbage explanation of what somebody had seen the night before. And they could barely wait to get this off their hands. So in December 1969, at the end, just before Christmas, when all the reporters had gone home in Washington, they released the fact that they've shut down Blue Book. They're out of the business. And as I've said numerous times, they could sit there and watch NFL football and Dancing with the Stars for the rest of their life. They never had to talk about UFOs ever again. So the idea was keep quiet. It'll go away. Nobody has to do any PR. Nobody has to make any explanations. What do they do? Instead, in 1972, they call Bob Ammenager and Alan Sandler. They call them to Norton Air Force Base. And these are the guys who don't have to talk about UFOs. They call them to a clean room at Norton Air Force Base and they say, oh, we'd like you to do these documentaries on different stuff for, for DARPA and put the, the Defense Department in a, in a better light. And, oh, by the way, we'd also like to get you at the end. We want you to hide this documentary under the other documentaries. We'd like you to get... Do a documentary on UFOs and they go to the Pentagon. They walk into the Pentagon and they sign a contract. This is not, you know, under the table. This is they sign a contract and they do a documentary on UFOs. And Bob Ammenager has told the story probably 50 times, about how they were able to walk everywhere and all the Blue Book people had to talk to them. And they talked to Arthur Lundahl, who was the head guy at the CIA for UFOs, and everybody sort of cooperated. So the idea is, if you're out of UFOs in 1969, why in 1972 would you put all sorts of uh, stuff on the fire and put gas on it and get the right, fire going and, again? And
2: promise promise,
7: Ebenegger the, the Homeland Air Force Base footage and promised him that, and they had it and they had it here's this is a story that I say is a book i mean this is one of the it is the probably the most dramatic story inside ufology they they were promised the film and they they had the film in their possession and they had at the end it was 1973 74 it was the watergate period and just when they're going to do the film when they're going to put the film in at the end they're told, you got to move the film back, and Bob tells a story about this heavy set guy in this small Datsun with his wife, and they drive this thing back to the Pentagon and stuff like that. And yet, in the film, they, they're, they're offered f- f- three different vantage points where they're shooting this thing in May of 1971 at Holloman Air Force Base. In, in the documentary, Bob, it becomes known that there's eight seconds of film from the Holloman film. So I phone up Bob, and this is where it comes to this disinformation information thing. I said, Bob, there's eight seconds of film. And finally he said, yeah, yeah, we got, there's eight seconds of the film from the original film in there. And I said, well, why would they give you eight seconds of the film? I, I thought you told me they pulled the film back. And he said, well, yeah, but it, it was just background. It really didn't mean anything. And I said, but why would they let you put it in? And he said, well, it, it didn't show the craft and it didn't show the aliens. And that comes back to the same thing where you take a real story and you fictionalize it. So that you, if you see the object, if you see the, the, ufos past present and future you'll see the thing and they show this this clip of holloman uh, the f- hills around holloman and you can actually see where the film sort of breaks and you you see this object but you can't see the actual shape of the object it's just this object this bright object six o'clock in the morning coming over the hills so the whole idea is that it's the same thing as the chase brandon story which we can sort of relate to later okay that, yeah that's you, another you, interesting story
1: so but, you so, know what this is getting very complicated and I want you to simplify it because we're nearing almost a third of the show so far, and there's so many questions we'll never get to all okay,
7: of them. But, but basically, it's the same thing. You can't. You don't sh- describe the alien, which is classified. You don't describe the actual craft, a, a close-up of the craft. But you can show this object coming in at a distance. So you're you're getting the story across, but you're 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 controlling the classified aspects. The same as this Chase Brandon guy who comes out last year and says. I saw this box. There was no box. He, he fictionalized it. He says there's a box. I'm not going to describe what was inside the box, but I can tell you that Roswell happened and it involved extraterrestrial bodies. So he's basically telling you the story without giving you any of the classified details, which is against the law. They'll throw him in jail. They'll throw him in jail. They'll throw anybody in jail who actually gets a piece of classified information and puts it into the public.
1: You know, I just have one question about all this. Wouldn't it be simpler to just deny everything rather than fill people with all this information? All that does is inflame the fires. Exactly.
7: That's, what, that's my whole point. I mean, It seems if, like such if, a waste. Why create all these documents that if, are fake? Why do that? What's the point? For some reason, they want the answer out. They, they want it partly out. If they wanted the story really released, it's very simple. You take your top guy, you take a bunch of documents, you go to the New York Times, you go to the Washington Post. The story's out. So they don't want the story out. It's evident. But they, they could keep quiet. I said in 1969 they could keep quiet, the same as the Canadians and a number of other governments in the world, and not talk about it, and it would go away. It's, it's in- like an in- incremental disclosure process, basically. That, that's what I'm saying they're doing, because neither makes sense to say that they, you could do it with the Canadians and you could make the story go away. You just shut up and quit talking about it. And and I, I spend a lot of my time talking about Ronald Pendolfi and Kit Green and Arthur Lundahl, these guys from the CIA, top guys in the CIA who have been interacting with the UFO community. Since 1954, dropping stuff into the UFO community. In fact, Bob Emenegger tells the story about dealing with Arthur Lundahl, who was the the original guy, and how he was given this story about the the CIA channeling an alien in 1959. And he gets the whole story. The CIA gives him the whole story. And then he says to Arthur Lundahl, can you come on camera and describe this? And he said, you don't understand, Bob. I'm on duty. I can't go on camera. So they get Robert Friend, the former head of Blue Book, and he goes on camera and describes the story about the CIA channeling an alien. So why would they give you that story to put in a documentary in the mid-1970s? It's a between thing. It's not that they don't want it completely out. They don't want to spill the milk because once you spill the milk, then you lose the classified material, and you can't put the milk back in the in the glass. They want this half position where they're sort of getting the story out. They're sort of—it's almost like the Bin Laden thing. I mean, the Bin Laden gets killed within 24 hours. There's two different stories. Nobody knows really what happened there. All we know is that they got Bin Laden, and they they put out all these different types of stories. It's you know, it's a Black Hawk helicopter, and then they got pictures of the stealth, and, and you got all these different channels of, of information that throw people off to what the actual truth is, but the the basic core story is getting out. Huh? I'm exhausted.
1: (laughs) Your tax dollars at work, Gene. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Okay, well, if I made enough uh, money to pay a lot of tax dollars, I'd worry about it. But this is true with almost everything. We're spending a lot of money on this ridiculous exercise in supposedly educating people about UFOs and what's really going on here. But no, we don't want to do that because the official posture on the part of the U.S. government is that UFOs aren't real. They're conventional objects or phenomena. So what's the point of all this? The mind boggles. But, you know, we should begin, now that we've covered some of the disinformation stuff, to look into the actual crash retrievals themselves to see where they pass muster the book is ufo's area 51 and government informants grand cameron and t scott crane wrote the book with gene and chris you're in the Paracast.
8: are you tired of searching for great talk radio something more important search no more we are the gcn radio network
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: Now, let me tell you before we go on that we asked our listeners to pose their questions in Question Bank, which is one of the forum areas at forum.theparacast.com. One person asked a couple dozen questions. There's no way we're going to get to all the questions, okay? So that ship has sailed. We can't do it. I'm going to ask a few more. Chris will, and then we'll get to some of your questions. We'll try to get to it. Okay, UFO crash retrievals. Now, before we go to Roswell, the reason I'm going to ask the second question is because I had lunch last couple of weeks ago with Scott Ramsey, and Scott and Suzanne Ramsey, along with Frank Warren, worked on a book about the Aztec Incident. So before we go on with anything else, Grand Cameron, do you accept Aztec as a real event or just something, a tall tale told of Frank Scully? Um,
7: I'm, I'm undecided. I really don't know one way or the other. I would say if I were to bet, I would say probably not. What I looked at in terms of Aztec was some of the interesting story that came out. For example, the, and I don't think it's in the book, 1952, Frank Scully gets a letter After he publishes the book, he gets a letter from someone in New York talking about a live alien in New Mexico, that they had captured a live alien. Uh, That kind of stuff I I find fairly significant that showed that there was some truth to what's going on. That's the problem with this whole thing, whether it's – the Roswell thing I think is pretty clear that I I would say, yeah, Roswell happened. As to all the other stuff, there's just so much material you can't tell whether it's disinformation, information. And I really don't deal with that kind of stuff. I don't try to really prove crash retrievals. Uh, We just sort of went sort of on the edge of it and tried to deal with people who we thought were involved because that's how I started. I had sightings and I had very close-up sightings in 1975 and 76. After then, I have not had a sighting since. But I basically wanted to know what somebody knew. Somebody had the answer to what I had seen. So I've always been trying to find the guys who have the control rather than to try to figure out which stories are true and which stories aren't. I think there are certain people inside the government and certain people around who know where the bodies are buried. And those are the people I spend my time chasing around.
1: All right. Let's just look very briefly at Roswell because I think this is one of these crazy cases where – A lot of people say, I don't want to hear any more about Roswell. A lot of people say, tell me more anyway. So what about the simple explanation? The simplest, this is just a test aircraft,
7: period. End of story. A test aircraft? Well, I mean, I I think there's 600 witnesses, and I think the vast majority of the people are talking about one thing. I don't think there's really, of those 600 witnesses or whatever it is, people talking about mogul balloons or uh, test aircrafts. I think you just take the weight of the evidence of the people, that the vast majority of people are talking about something that that was probably extraterrestrial and, I think, importantly involved a live alien.
1: All right. Why, even if you have 600 people telling you, why assume it wasn't a test aircraft?
7: Well, the evidence, has, you have to have some evidence. I mean, it could be one of... Uh, sure, well,
1: yeah, but you don't have evidence of ET unless you have ET on ice. Why would you think it would be a test aircraft?
7: Well, because I'd, I haven't seen anybody describe a test aircraft.
1: Well, we would think then if they describe something, they're describing a aircraft that maybe they weren't familiar with, but it doesn't make it not a test aircraft. With bodies? Okay, that's one where it's disputed, but do we assume then that
7: we're accurate about the live alien, because that is where obviously things diverge. Well, I think if you've got up to 12 cases of people describing a live alien, I think there's, it looks pretty good that there probably was a live alien. I, I, I look at things very simply that, you know, you take a look at what people say. And if, if people are saying one thing, you sort of you take that as your working hypothesis it may not in the end be true but i mean it seems to be more and more people describing one thing and nobody describing test aircraft and nobody describing moga well, okay. balloon and i mean those are possibilities but you have to have some evidence you can't just well are you throw the, throw it with it out?
2: Uh, Joseph Farrell uh, i mean he's come up with quite a bit of interesting uh, documentation and uh, he's kind of uh, kind of drawn lines between the dots there a little bit that does support some sort of terrestrial craft uh, as a possibility uh, to explain the Roswell incident. No,
7: I haven't studied that. I mean, I can look at it and see, but uh, right now I haven't seen, I haven't seen, I mean, it's always the thing we, we throw, it, uh, you know, all sorts of alternate explanations because it's like anything but alien, as, you know, as Stanton says. We, we just, we're trying to find some rational explanation to make it something other than what it appears to be. Well, I do, I do really um, strongly
2: recommend Joseph Farrell's work. Um, uh, he has three or four books that, that go into all the permutations that, uh, that would actually, <laughs> it, it, it definitely, at least in my mind, um, lays out a very good case that um, deserves um, attention. Uh, but we should move on, don't you think, Gene? We've got a lot of questions here.
1: Indeed, I just wanted to cover that very briefly. But, okay, crash retrievals in general, other than Roswell... Since you're not accepting the possibility at this point that maybe Aztec involved in anything, is there any other crash retrieval of note that we have to seriously consider?
7: I think you look at, uh, you look at what I presented in the book, that in 1950, the, Canadian, the Canadians went to the Americans. They went to the Canadian embassy in Washington, D.C. Uh, Frank Scully's book on the crash at Aztec had come out, and Major Kehoe's book on UFOs had come out, and the Canadians made inquiries through the military attaché at the Canadian embassy asking American officials, is this for real? is one of the only respected top-secret documents in the U- UFO world. The Canadian government does not deny this is not a top-secret document. It is not a legitimate document. It is not what we say it is. And in that document, the Canadians are told through the, the military attaché, flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. It's of tremendous significance, and a group headed by Vannevar Bush is running the show. That's basically what the Canadians are told. The document is filed in Canada, and so right from the word go... It appears that everybody knew right from the word go what was going on. The Canadians knew. Okay, and Canadians yes, but knew.
1: what other crash retrieval episode are we talking about?
7: Well, we don't. We don't know. All we know is what was in the top secret document, which is not a disputed document. We we do. Other for example, than okay, but
1: specifically, other than Roswell, what other place? What city? What date?
7: What time? Well, we, we don't know. We, all we have is what we have, is a top-secret document that says it's for real. And the Canadian... Uh, yeah, but just actual, saying it's for real doesn't prove there was another crash retrieval. It, it says that the flying saucers is real. Now, there's a story that, that Wilbur Smith, that all his, his people working with Wilbur Smith, the, the government people working with him, there was a rumour story that Smith had been shown a craft outside of Washington and that he had seen the craft and he'd seen the bodies. Now, where that came from, who knows? I just questioned his son... And Jim, who was the oldest son. And I said to Jim, did your father ever tell you that story? And he said, yes, my father told me that story just before he died. He confirmed to me, yes, that he had seen the craft and he had seen the bodies. And uh, then I said, were they greys? And he said, no, as far as I know, my father just said they were what was being described at the time little people so i mean where the craft came from who knows i mean i'm just tracking the the high level people what the high level people are are dealing with it, when it comes to details you get into the same mishmash of trying to prove this person said this this person said that you, you're very almost never going to prove that there's a crash but you are going to be able to look at different aspects of what government people are saying uh the whole story about the the blue room thing you can take the the george knapp story uh where he has this high-level witness where the, the guy basically George Knapp tracks this guy down he says if this guy knows he's one of the top guys from EG&G that started the whole thing he says if this, if this story is true this guy will know and he gets to know the guy and he told this story on your show he gets to know the guy he goes to meetings where this guy's at and he basically makes friends with this guy the guy invites him to his house to to look at test site photographs with doing the nuclear stuff that was done up there. And he gets there and he says to George, he says, you didn't come here to talk about the nuclear tests. I did. And George says, no, I didn't. And he said, you came to talk about UFOs, didn't you? And George said, yeah. And George said it took six months, meetings in the morning, breakfast meetings, lunch meetings. He wasn't allowed to take notes. He wasn't allowed to tape. He would run out of the meetings and write down what this guy had said. And basically, and this comes to George Knapp's respectability and his reputation in the UFO field. The guy said, yes, it's all true. Absolutely all true. Back engineering the crafts. And then George says, what, you're back engineering this stuff? Were you afraid the story was going to get out? And the guy said, no. We have so much more to talk about. As you see, a single question may elicit a hundred more. <laughs>
1: and where do we go from here? Grand Cameron joining Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast.
0: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget.
15: radio advertising on gcn the genesis communications network is simple affordable and reaches millions how do we do it let's break it down first the simple part you tell us about your business (laughs) then our expert radio copywriters write your copy we hire professional voice talent hello there i'm a professional announcer and then produce your ad with just the right music and feel (laughs) voila simple How affordable? 60-second ads on GCN are the most affordable national radio advertising rates, period. And that brings us to reach. Millions of people listen to GCN radio programs on over 700 AM and FM and XM stations and streaming audio live. That's it. A one-stop shop. Creative radio ads. Very affordable rates. Millions of potential customers and customer service that can't be beat. See our current list of satisfied advertisers at GCNlive.com. Then shoot us an email, advertise at GCNlive.com.
16: For years, you've been hearing about Herbal Healer Academy and how it's remained the leader in effective alternative and natural medicine and education. But how can they continue to hold that title for years on end? The answer is high quality and huge selection. Just visit HerbalHealer.com and shop online or request a free catalog. You're bound to find the alternative you're looking for. Did you know that Herbal Healer carries the latest, safest, and effective weight loss products? You can also count on Herbal Healer for the largest selection of safe and natural supplements just for children. And don't forget your pets. Herbal Healer even has natural mineral supplements for all your animals, including horses, cows, and birds. Take a peek at their online calendar and you're sure to find everything you need and maybe something you didn't realize you needed. Visit HerbalHealer.com and don't forget to sign up for the free Herbal Healer newsletter. HerbalHealer.com, working with the power of nature.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Chris has taken on his E.T. voice, ladies and gentlemen. Or is that the trickster voice, or is that the gin voice? I don't know. No, that was the knowing insider voice. Grant Cameron joining us. The book UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants. So many thousands of questions to ask here, and as I said, yeah, we're not well gonna... I
2: have a, a real good one, Gene, from Conrad Hartman that, sure. that is right perfectly uh, timed here. Might it be possible, Grant, that the Roswell event was either staged by the government elements or if there was an actual E.T. crash? or sufficient public belief in one, maybe this is being exploited by these government elements as a psychological experiment to study the following. The ability to introduce information or disinformation to the population through unofficial routes. The flow of that information, how it travels and who communicates it. How the information changes in the retelling. The extent to which information can be manipulated after it's been released. As a test. Testing the level of internal security of Air Force or other organizational personnel. Good question. Sure. That's part of it.
7: Sure. that They do track how people are reacting to stuff. They did lots of psychological tests related to various things. Sure, that's part of it. But it still comes down to, are you going to go through this whole elaborate thing for 65 years to test something that could backfire on you? The Area 51 story is an example of how it backfired, where they they gave it to Bob Lazar. As I point out in the book, when Bob Lazar went to EG&G for the interviews... In November of 1988, the first question in the second interview is, what's your relationship to John Lear and what do you think about him? So before Bob Lazar ever went on the test site, they knew that he knew John Lear. And so they take him up to the test site. So whatever he saw at the test site, you can't believe anything of what he saw at the test site. Even though he passed the lie detector test, he's just describing what he saw. He could have been totally set up for that. Sure. And yeah, and that's my contention in the book, is that he was set up. So they got this material. They wanted the idea that they had the, the back engineering stuff at Area 51, and they had the live alien at Area 51. And they wanted that to get out. Because what they do is they use people uh, who have backgrounds where the, it's questionable. So they knew that... Well, well, psych- he was, the psychological profiling can, can identify these people fairly easily. Yeah. So they know that Lazar is going to go back and give this stuff to John Lear. And what they figure, because at that time, John Lear had just gotten in the UFO thing, he'd gotten in the MJ 12 thing, and he's running around with the Bill Cooper stuff. And he was talking about the underground bases well, and, and the uh, Lear you know. hypothesis. Let's don't forget. Yeah. So all this crazy stuff. So who better to give the material to than John Lear? The material will come out that we've got crafts at Area 51 and we've got a live alien. Everybody's going to say, oh, John Lear said it. Who, you know, he's kind of a crazy guy. And it's going to be a three-day news cycle. It's going to die like the, the, the Chase Brandon story. The idea is going to get out, and nobody's going to question it. What they didn't realize was that George Knapp was going to get authorization from his boss at KLS-TV and said, get to the bottom of this story. <laughs> and, and, and that's when it started to go south on them. And the story started to take off, and Billy Goodman had his radio show, and they had buses going up into the, to the hills to look over Area 51. And suddenly the security, the whole base, was under attack. They had to take more land to move people farther away so they couldn't look at this kind of stuff and George Knapp started to get all these witnesses and he, I believe he told this story on your show as well where he gets all these witnesses and I just had breakfast with him a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas and he was telling me the story again and he said unless you were there, unless you were actually involved in this thing, you cannot believe how real this thing was as it was happening and he talks about the six witnesses back to back to back to back where a woman for example who worked for one of the contractors who Knapp had tracked down she was going to go on camera, she had been involved when they were moving the material from the the blue room at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, they were moving the the crafts, the bodies, whatever, to Area 51. He has her. She's going to go on camera. She gets a visit the very morning she's going to go on camera and they come to her and they say, we just want to remind you, you got a security clearance. We know you visit your daughter in Los Angeles. We'd hate to have an accident in the desert. And Knapp says she goes down and one after another, six witnesses in a row who are all telling the same story, all get threatened and nobody will go on camera. And he said, that's the, the part that really impressed him was that unless you were there, you saw how this was happening, that there was a, a reaction to what was going on here and this thing was true and uh, people will say the story relies on on lazar he's got a bad background and so the story's not true you don't need lazar you don't need any of that part of the story all you need that, that is that just creates Ge- plausible deniability yeah so all you need is is george knapp who had most people don't know had over two dozen other witnesses that confirmed exact all the same stuff that that lazar was talking about he got it from all different other sources. So the story is true, but they, they used this guy who had a bad background. It's irrelevant. It's the, basically trying to figure out what the story is, and it comes down to the number of witnesses that if George Knapp tells me he's got two dozen-plus witnesses who basically say this story is true, I, I take that based on his his respected position in journalism as that's probably going to be the true story that leads
2: me to a really good question from joey k22 who's a longtime poster at forum.theparacast.com and he asks if a roswell or kexberg type crash happened today would the government be able to contain information from the site, assuming there are witnesses, given that in today's world we have instant communication, the Internet, digital phones, cell phones, uh, digital uh, you know, photography? What would happen if we had an actual crash today? How do you think the government would handle that?
7: I, I think the government's got this absolutely 100% under control. I mean, there is something where if something crashed in the middle of a city or something, I think they've got it all under control. I don't think they really worry too much about being able to control... I mean, you're, you're talking about this one scenario that might get out of hand. But I think basically they're not too worried about the control of the actual evidence and the, the crash type stuff. I, I think they've got it pretty well perfected. That's just my personal opinion. Yes, think- but if
1: something like this happened in not even a populated area, a small town like in Aztec, New Mexico, and there's a crash, the blogosphere, the Twitter generation, and the Facebook generation would be all over it. And before the government could get out there... You'll have tens of thousands of people
7: lining up to see what went on. Well, there have been these these incidents. Shag Harbor in in Canada. You, sure, you, but you, we're talking about something that's very different. Okay, but you're talking about the ultimate scenario where they can't really control it. But they can they can seal off a site. There's there's all sorts of stories that have been out there that you know there was a crash here, a crash there, and someone saw this, someone saw that. I've heard piles of these stories and it it always comes down to the fact that you have a a three-day news cycle you have nobody in the media who could care less about this subject they are not going to do it and unless you get george knapp who worked on this story for six to eight months you're not going to get it let's take the chase brandon story Prime example, here's a guy, 42 years in the CIA, the second most powerful person inside the CIA, other than the director of the CIA, to speak on behalf of the CIA in public, comes out and says, Roswell is real, it involved bodies. It went, Huffington Post, Lee Spiegel put it on, got a million and a half hits in a couple of days, and I had on my website, you could see this dropping like a stone, the numbers were dropping. Nobody picked it up. Spiegel went off and did a story about the British releasing UFO documents. He goes on to the next thing. And that's the problem is that you can get a story and it'll go, but it will not gain any momentum because the main people in the media who control the thing aren't really interested in the story and it will never get any any footage the chase brandon story is the prime example it died it was uh, you figure like wow nobody questioned the guy nobody went after the story it just in three days it was over and everybody was on to the next story and that's one of the problems we have in ufology is we're always trying to chase the next story we're looking for the messiah we're looking for the person who has all the answers we're looking for that ultimate case that's going to break it so the jerusalem video comes out and everybody chases after the jerusalem video and then they say oh that's a hoax and they chase after the next thing and they've got us running and everybody's just running after the next case nobody's actually doing any research everybody thinks that there's one case that's going to break it all and everybody's waiting for it and i say it's not going to happen okay <laughs>
1: grand cameron joining gene and chris you're in the Paracast. <laughs>
6: Your freedoms are on the line. The 2nd Amendment is in danger. How soon before your freedoms are taken away? What can you not live without? What is your greatest dependency? Is it your guns? Is it your home? No, it's food. It all boils down to the food supply. Tyrannical governments control people by controlling their food supply. Don't be dependent. Be self-sufficient. Don't wait for the government to feed you. Feed yourself. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Do like Alex has done and get a supply of food from e-foods Direct. It's the best law long-term storable food on the planet. Get the popular Mega Patriot Pack free. A 24-day supply of food plus stove, cook pot, and fuel. Call 800-250-1857 or go to eFoodsDirect.com Alex and get up to 20 Mega Patriot Packs free with purchase. Build your food supply, be in control, be self-sufficient, and be a patriot. Call 800-250-1857 or eFoodsDirect.com Alex and get your free Patriot Pack today
18: ceramic body armor is rated to stop six hits. But what about the seventh? Unlike ceramic or Kevlar, Infidel body armor is proven to take hit after hit, and it just won't quit. Reasonably priced and designed for the smart civilian prepper, Infidel stops hundreds of hits from small arms to high-powered rifles. That means safety and peace of mind. Buy yours at InfidelBodyArmor.com. Spelled I-N-F-I-D-E-L BodyArmor.com. Infidel Body Armor just won't quit.
3: We the people grow cotton. We fabric and
12: Are you or someone you love struggling with stress, anxiety, or less than perfect health? Hi, this is Pastor Ginny, and as a woman of faith, I spent many years in ministry burdened with anxiety and fear. But in 2010, I met Dr. Carolyn Dean, and I took her recommendation to try RNA drops. Within days of taking RNA drops, my anxiety began to lift. My joy was restored. And the peace of mind that I would have once called a miracle has now become normal to me. Discover what RNA drops can do for you. Order your free sample today at www.rnafreesample.com. That's rnafreesample.com. There you can order a free 30-day trial-sized bottle of RNA drops by paying just shipping and handling. That's www.rnafreesample.com. Maybe there's a miracle waiting there for you.
8: Hello, this is Rosemary
16: Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
2: grant
1: you crack me up man and you're so right with gene and chris in the power talking to grand cameron now there's one thing though about that question yeah if a talking head even from the cia says something okay it may disappear from the news cycle i am talking about the actual event it's not going to be so easy with the actual event
7: that's going to bring some coverage it has to
16: mm-hmm. yeah
7: Oh, well, I mean, you you could take stories like now. It depends who gives it out. I mean, you've got Stephen Greer running around now with an alien and says he's got this alien and they're doing the DNA tests. And, I mean, is that thing taken off? It well, yeah, but, you a, know, Stephen Greer, like, I don't think people believe anymore. Exactly. So it comes down. Everybody's going to have an excuse. It's, this guy's got this problem. This guy's got that problem. And we'd we kill the story. In ufology, it doesn't matter what the story is. We'll kill the story.
2: Well, that leads me to another question from Conrad Hartman, and that is, Stephen Greer has experienced severe
7: criticism in some paranormal discussions. Do you think he's been treated fairly? What is your opinion of his work? No, I don't think he's been treated fairly. I know back in the 1970s when we were working on the thing, one of the things I always – people sort of laugh at him is he does these uh, CE5 things out in the desert and he's flashing lights at him and doing all this kind of stuff. I know from fact back in 1975, 76, long before Stephen Greer was around – we had these objects very close. We had a number of very close encounters. This is a flap that went on in a town for about a year and a half, almost every night. We're flashing lights, and let me tell you, it works. I mean, it's, it's – and we have other cases of well, people, stuff. So I think he's been treated – In all the stuff I've done, I've, I've dealt with, with his stories in terms of the, the Clinton administration because my expertise was the, the president's. He's told the truth every single time. Basically, the you other know, people who – He embellishes and, and, and overstates things. He's, so he'll his, spin his, it. He'll his spin it, but he or calls- his
2: dinner with Wolsey is a classic example. But, but Grant, no, let me let me, back you up on, let me back you up on one thing here. I was the one that turned Stephen Greer onto Crestone where he's had more of his, I think, 19 uh, years running. He's had his CE5 trainings there. Yeah. And back when I was there in the 90s, I'm telling you, every time he showed up, and started flashing his lights around. We had sightings all around the valley, but they they tended to be everywhere, but in Crestone, where
7: he was flashing the lights.
2: <laughs> Interestingly yeah. enough,
7: well, the C five thing is is I mean that's something. The Wolsey thing, I say, absolutely true. Absolutely, he was dead on. They, the, John Peterson, had followed him around the country to four different lectures. He, John Peterson, had contacted him in Colorado and said. I've got someone you got to meet. He's the one that set up the meeting. That was all true. And and then later on, they, they make the denial. They say, oh, it's not true. He's lying. And then Peterson gets caught a second time. He gets caught telling the story to Catherine Austin Fitz, the same thing. And then it was like, oh, Catherine Austin Fitz is lying about this thing about uh, there's live aliens um, among us and st- all the stories that she told. And she wasn't even in ufology. She was a prominent person, but she basically backed up the fact that, that Peterson was was covering for himself. I, I disagree. I think that, that- the material that he has, I went and got all the material from the Clinton Library. When he said that he provided this material to Clinton, the, the briefing material, I saw it all. It's there. There's 900 pages of this material. He was putting a lot of material in the Clinton administration. And we, you can spin the thing about you know the, the fact that he, he'll spin the stuff. Yes, that he's, he's egotistical. But I say you've got to separate the fact that he's a total idiot, that he's a, egotistical, from what he's actually saying. I mean, because. Well, that's true.
2: Nobody is, is actually suggesting. That Stephen Greer hasn't really busted ass and, and really come up with some yeah some and, uh, some amazing take, for results. Example,
7: Leslie Kane criticized him greatly. She was on his she was working for him, and the thing was he didn't vet his witnesses right and all this sort of stuff. And then she comes out with her book, which is very prominent, that gets great reviews, and basically. All she did was take his disclosure witnesses, the ones that she respected and, and went through, and took his material and put a book out on it. It was basically the same thing. So he's getting criticism from one side, and yet people are using his witnesses. And the whole thing about the other problem that he had that I disagree with, people say, well, he didn't vet his witnesses. Well, anybody who's been in the field knows. I mean, if you've got 400 witnesses and you, you've got to spend $20,000 to vet a witness, nobody in the UFO community has got that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it's, it's not – proper to get him for not going through all 400 witnesses and spending you know 15 million dollars making sure that they every t was crossed and every i was dotted when it comes to the witnesses it's it's a tough tough go that that to get a witness i even one witness is to try to vet one to see whether you're being set up is, is a is a problem so i think he's been treated unfairly although he sort of the way he treats people and the way he he deals i think he's got a lot of it coming to himself
2: you know, the the grandstanding, the self-aggrandization, um, some of the ego issues. I told him back in 93, point, point blank in front of some very uh, high-heeled people, Rockefeller's right-hand man, uh, Bootsy Galbraith, Sandy Wright, uh, some, some real high-powered people in the room. And and I told him, Stephen, you got to understand, your message is more important than you are. And I had to repeat it three times because he didn't yeah. get it. He doesn't and, and seem to I'll, still get I'll it still, because he's still promoting himself. I'll still say and, that today, sure. that you, you cannot assume the mantle of the Messiah and uh, self-appoint yourself as the ambassador to the universe and train people and charge them uh, copious amounts of money and expect to be taken seriously. That denigrates all the good work that you're doing, and and it really... Is unfortunate.
7: Well, oh, I totally agree with that. I mean, in in, in the ufology, there's no money, so the people who want the ego are the people who who push. That's all there is in in ufology is ego because there's really no money. And I I go back to when you compare him, you got to compare everybody else. That any high level, really high level thing where somebody gets to the top of a field, they're they're usually as egotistical as 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 he is. I mean, you take the presidents. I mean, they're they're just. you have to have an ego. Uh, just like unbelievable ego to, to get there because you can't take the criticism by the time you get to be the president. That Well, you have to be either made of Teflon or
2: have a, 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 you know, a Teflon you know, coating or, or be made of uh, cast iron or, or tensile steel.
7: Yeah, so I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying on Greer. I, it, when it comes to his his actual, is he telling the truth? I think uh, uh, the vast majority of times he's telling the truth, but he's he's spinning it to his own uh, to his own self-aggrandizement, I guess you could call it.
2: <laughs> okay, well, here's a question from slightly above par, who's one of our. Uh, uh, he's almost celebrating a year as a poster at forum.theparacast.com. I like that name, slightly slightly above, above par. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think
1: I, I resemble that remark. Well, of course you, you do. As do I. I'm actually slightly below
2: par because I never learned golf. Oh, forget it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a bogey golfer, so so it works for me. Have you ever investigated any well-known UFO crash claims, only to find out that they were conclusively fiction or readily explained as terrestrial? And he says, Don't get me wrong, I think there have been real UFO crashes. However, I'm left wondering if any of the Sacred Cal examples are more fiction than fact. Of course, you know, we could leave Roswell and I think Aztec aside because we've already pretty much discussed them. But are there any other crashes that you feel people have taken as, as being legitimate that uh, you, you pretty much conclusively concluded that they're, they're fiction? Uh, And Before
1: you answer that, Grant,
2: before you answer that,
1: you have about a minute or a minute and a half, so you can start your answer in this segment, and then feel free to pick it up in our next. Go ahead, please.
7: Okay, the only one that I can think of, as I said, I really haven't worked too much on crashes, interviewing people with crashes. There was one outside of Ottawa, Canada, that Bob Exler was pushing a number of years ago, um, that one was oh, that the Guardian you know, case or the Guardian? I think the Guardian oh, okay. case. That one, I it was all it was all this excitement. I sort of chased that. The one I, example I can sort of give you is I did do the Scully thing. I went and found because I knew Scully had moved his files to the University of Wyoming. I went to the University of Wyoming. I looked through probably ten thousand pages of material, and there was really nothing there that was concrete that backed up the Aztec thing. I I was looking for the names of the eight scientists. I was looking for, you know, some letter, except for this alien, live alien letter. There was really nothing in the files that really showed that he had anything uh, secret outside what he put in the book. So I was kind of disappointed in that.
1: So many questions, so little time. I'll tell you. The book, by the way, is called UFOs Area 51 and Government Informants. It's a report on government involvement in UFO crash retrievals, but it looks like there aren't too many crash retrievals to stick your teeth into, or maybe there are, and we just don't know about it. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast.
8: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network.
11: <laughs> are you still a traditional smoker now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. day warranty and satisfaction guarantee so are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle then call 870-518-4307 that's 870-518-4307 or visit lecig.com spelled l-e-c-i-g.com Lasig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker
12: Want something different from your detox? Then you want Hemp USA's Micro Plant Powder for a full body detox. With seven formulations and eight different sizes, you will feel and see the difference. And the best part? It's only about $10 a month. Our customers love it, and we ship worldwide. Get the detox difference. Get Micro Plant Powder from HempUSA.org. Call 888-910-4367 or visit HempUSA.org. See what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you at HempUSA.org.
3: We the
1: With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we're talking to Grant Cameron. We have roughly five segments to go for this episode, and we're not going to get to all the questions, but we're going to mow through them and see what we can do. Chris?
2: Okay. This is from uh, Blabby Boy, and I'll tell you, he definitely, Grant, sets the record for the number of questions in a single post for uh, a single guest. I. I, you know, there's a bunch of crash retrieval ones here. I think I think the uh, subtitle is is kind of giving people a little bit of a a target to focus on here. But you know, basically, I think what he's I'm going to try to sum up several of these questions into one question, which has to do with the question of of crash retrievals. But basically, I think what he wants to know is: Does the U.S. actually recover craft from across the globe? Or is this you know, primarily something that they do only in U.S. territory? And then what, where do they take them? I mean, what do we actually really know about government involvement in, in crash retrievals? From what I'm hearing from you, we really don't know much. There's, there's very little besides Roswell. Um, we don't really have smoking gun evidence. Of course, you know, uh, uh, Len Stringfield's work suggests that there have been a number of crashes around. But again, okay. a lot of the evidence that he – purports in, in in uh what, what was the name of the red what was the name of S- the books Lens- S- S- situation red or? situation red right yeah. a lot of those are equivocal i mean there's no real smoking gun evidence that any of those events really happened so what do you think about this idea of the the government having a crash retrieval team running around the globe buying off people you know putting a, a blanket of si- secrecy and security around these these crash sites uh do you think any of these things are, are actually uh, touted as, as uh, ET craft when it's actually our own technology?
7: Um,
2: okay. What sort of diversionary tactics do they use? What, what do we actually know?
7: Okay, let, let me deal with uh, – it's quite a few questions. Um, the Virginia one, I, this is not in the book, but I worked on it as uh, part of the, the presidential research. There was a, the Warren Christopher. There was a story that Warren Christopher had gone to Brazil for the the Virginia thing, and that they had put a, an astronaut on the on the space shuttle in exchange for the the bodies and the really, I'd never heard that Warren Christopher, yeah. huh? And everything checked out except you, you. mean you? He was there. They did put the astronaut on the uh, on the space shuttle. Everything seemed to check out. But it, when it comes to the the real document of you know the the discussions, all this kind of stuff, it was it was still came down to just rumor. Uh, when it comes to crashes, the one that we do have in the book that was kind of significant, uh, it, when, in the book we deal with Dr. Eric Walker, who is, uh, I think, very important. We, he had come across through the Canadians. The Canadians had... had um, talked to a scientist, and this scientist had squealed on Dr. Eric Walker, and Stanton Friedman had interviewed this guy. And through that interview, we, we came across Dr. Eric Walker who was the former president of Penn State University for 15 years, He was chairman of the board of the Institute for Defense Analysis, the top military think tank in the in the United States, chairman of the National Science Foundation, just 14 honorary doctorate degrees, just unbelievable background. And in Walker's situation, there was a very bizarre sort of case that happened in terms of Stanton Friedman tried to interview him a number of times and he really didn't tell Stanton very much except in one interview he said to Stanton he says look I don't talk about this subject it's not something I want to talk about he said I and I haven't been involved in this for 25 years and this interview took place in 1990 when we were looking at this material I went 1990 25 years 1965 He lives in State College, Penn State is at State College, Kecksburg, Pennsylvania is about 100 miles away as the crow flies, Dr. Eric Walker had a pilot's license, they had a a training, actual pilot training thing at Penn State University, and I'm thinking, what's the chances that he was at Kecksburg? So, an interview was done with Dr. Walker, and this is after the book was released, the first time, it wasn't in the original book, and the, the question was to him, was Dr. Walker... We don't know if this has to do with UFOs, but we just want to. I want to ask you the question: Were you at Kexburg, Pennsylvania, in December of 1965? And Walker said, "Yeah, I was there," and I was there with two two military people off duty. And then he said, "Well, can you tell us was was it a UFO?" And he said, "You keep asking that question." I said, "I'm not going to talk to you about this." So we got this sort of indication that Walker had actually flown on the Friday night to to to, uh, to Kexburg, Pennsylvania. Later on, and we had gotten a hold of his son because he had all his material. He had an office at Penn State University. And later on, we talked to his son, and his son confirmed that, yes, there had been a file. Because we knew he had a file because he was sort of sending one letter to somebody and photocopying letters. We knew he was keeping a file on all these different researchers around the world who were trying to get him to talk. And so we were looking for this file. So we went to his son, and his son says, yes, there was a file. And it was at the house, it wasn't at Penn State, it was at the house, and I remember seeing it, and in that file, I didn't really read the details, and his son was a medical doctor, he said uh, there was description of a crash in Pennsylvania and one in the West, but I really didn't read the details of it, when my father died, when I transferred the the rest of the files from the house to Penn State University, the file was gone. So Walker had congestive heart failure. He knew he was dying, and I guess he cleared it out at the end. So that was one of the cases where it was sort of this roundabout thing that sort of indicated that, yes, there was some truth to these uh, crash reports, that Walker uh, had been called in, and it gave me the indication that that... Um, he knew what was going on in the early days when he was first asked about an MJ-12 that's when he made this statement I've, and this is in 1987, Bill Steinman interviews him, he's asked about MJ, the MJ-12 document which had just been released in Washington by Moore Friedman and Chandray. and that's, at that point he says, I, look I've known of them for 40 years leave it alone, there's nothing you can do about it you're up against the windmills and basically took that position But we, so we knew that he was sort of claiming that he'd known about the JMJ-12, that he was there at the beginning when this was all coming together. But when we had this interview about Kexberg, it seemed to indicate that these people – are are out of it in fact he would say i had other things to do in my life you know this wasn't the only thing i was doing i had more important things to do so when something would happen in the area they would have people who knew what to do they would be called in for one day two days sort of on contract and then go back to their regular lives and that's what i think in terms of this question of that i think there there may be a team that does this kind of stuff but there are people all over the place that are brought in who are trusted who have security clearances and they move them in they move them out and uh they only have uh, uh you know action or involvement maybe once every 25 years that's what we learned from walker well do we have any indication that we have any other hot spot areas
2: this is another question from blab uh, blabby boy uh any other crashes that uh may have some smoking gun sort of facts to, to, to bolster the claims that these events have occurred.
7: Mm, not, well, again, I mean, I didn't get into the actual crashes. I was dealing more with the people that I think were, were dealing with the crashes. There was, there was an interesting story. You're talking about the fact that, you know, how we could, they could not seal off an area. And I tell the story, I don't think it's in the book, but Paul Hellyer actually tells the story in his book. He got it from me, and this came from my father. My father worked for the Department of Transport. He was a pilot for the Department of Transport here in Canada. And he worked for the same uh, organization that Wilbur Smith, who ran the Canadian Government Flying Saucer Program, worked for. And he had uh, told me about a story about the accident investigation team in the Department of Transport was in my father's office. And they told about a story, this happened in Canada along the Saskatchewan-Manitoba border in 1959. They had seen this thing coming down on radar, they had tracked the thing and they had given the alert and the guy that was in the office my father talked to who went out, arrived on the scene and he said when he got on the scene, they didn't know what this thing was, they thought it was a U-2 but they weren't sure. When he got on the scene there was a bunch of US military people surrounding the, the, the object. And this guy said, "I'm here on behalf of the Canadian government. I'm an accident investigation guy, and I'm going to be investigating the site." And apparently, this guy had a rifle or a whatever and stuck it his uh, stomach and said, "Get out of here, boy!" And he said, "No, you don't understand. I'm here from the Canadian government. It is. This is our jurisdiction. This is Canada. We ha- we are here to to investigate this accident." And he said. Sorry, turn around and leave, sir. So he went and he made a phone call and they phoned Ottawa, which is the capital, the Department of Transport in in Ottawa, and they described the whole situation. The Americans have got something surrounded on the ground here and they're refusing us uh, authorization to go onto the site. And they said, hang on. They phoned him half half an hour later. The headquarters in Ottawa phones back and says, leave them alone. Let them do what they're doing. And that was the end of it. And we just—we don't even know. We just believe it was a U-2 that had crashed. It had come over. They saw it coming over the poles. The radar picked it up. But we don't know what it was that the Americans recovered in Canada. So they, I think they have the capability to surround this stuff. I think they, they beat the Canadian investigators to, this, to the scene, and it wasn't even their country. So I, I think they have. But in terms of any specific crash, um, i i I really haven't worked on you know trying to prove a crash was a crash i've been more interested in the people who i think were dealing with the material and the places where they took it and and how they've handled the it at the government level
1: that's intriguing that's very intriguing but we've got to do the break now so stand by okay so many more questions from that one guest we're talking to grand cameron you're on with gene and chris you're in
6: the Paracast.
1: I have bought a few bottles of heart and body extract and have to say that it
17: it certainly does work.
15: That's what Jack from Michigan had to say after his experience with heart pain and what he did to treat it with heart and body extract.
17: I actually had a huge heart flutter also having some edema around my ankles and very worrisome clot in my uh, right leg that would happen from time to time while I was trying to sleep.
15: Heart and body extract is all natural with no negative side effects. It will help repair or correct past problems associated with the heart and body circulation.
9: After my second bottle of heart and body extract, all problems are now gone.
15: Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305.
4: I ordered a third bottle of Heart and
1: Body Extract for maintenance as I want to keep everything working.
15: Order Heart and Body Extract at 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: Chris is busy consolidating two dozen questions from one of our loyal listeners. This sets a record. Maybe we should have a contest. Who can ask (laughs) the most questions? We send him a t-shirt or something. Wait a minute, Gene.
2: If it's my job to read the questions, please don't do that. Actually, what we want to do, ladies and gentlemen,
1: is to give Chris more work to do Each question can be no shorter than 500 words.
2: (laughs) Stop, 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 stop. Well, uh, let me go beyond. He has a lot of questions about the actual machinations of the government's response to crash uh, retrieval, you know, reports and that sort of thing. Let's kind of scoot forward here a little bit. And just a couple of general questions. What case do you think has the best evidence of proof uh, in terms of, of a crash retrieval? Let's say besides Roswell.
7: Well Roswell will be number 1. I think Kexburg is um pretty mm-hmm. good case. I think the Virginia case what are the is
2: pretty good. On was it some sort of Soviet satellite that crashed? Was it something ET? No, w- no, but- it was
7: a Soviet. Soviet. I argued with James Oberg just after you know in the 1990s about that whole thing, and I actually got Leslie Kane got the same material from the expert in NASA, the guy who's in in charge of all re-entering. I think his name was Johnson. All the stuff that re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. This guy's the expert on it, and he stated absolutely was not a Soviet. Spacecraft. It had come in in the morning, and it had come in over Canada, and stated in in writing that there there was no way this was any sort of piece of reentering space debris. So it wasn't that we basically just have this description that it was uh, some object that had this sort of writing on the side of it. And the, the witnesses all described to be taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and this building sort of being built around it. Again, it's like once they seal it off, that's why I think the government has completely got this under control that if you, uh, unless you've got a lot of stuff within the first 24 hours, they seal it off and yep. it's gone forever. <laughs> boy yeah they put the
2: lid down on on uh events especially when it when it deals with with our own technology but uh, obviously, sure. if, if this is the highest classified uh, area, because it, it does cross it over.
7: I mean, you, these guys are are experts at recovering. I mean, you, you've read these stories about the the broken arrows and all this kind of stuff, and and years later, all these these books are coming out now about all these uh, these nuclear accidents where planes crashed and and they got in secretly and the, you know removed the bombs and all this kind of stuff. That that they, they work not just UFOs; they do the nuclear stuff, recovering that kind of stuff, plane crashes. There's even this uh, story, and again. It's sort of an example of how you twist the story. There's a story um, we tell in the book about this UFO cover-up live, 1988, which I say is an extremely significant dump of material by the CIA into the public. In that thing, they describe the remote viewing program. If you look at the flow chart in 1988, they on this TV show, they show this flow chart which has the DIA remote viewing program on the flow chart. It is not declassified until 1995. They also have Area 51 on that flow chart, which would not become public until Lazar went public the year after that. So on, on this thing, you have this sort of material that's that's being released, and the remote viewing program is very interesting in that. Jimmy Carter talked about it. Now, a lot of people will say, because we don't have the documents, like the the crash and the hard evidence, it means nothing happened. But what I always point out is the fact that we basically know that the remote viewing program took place. And there's 80,000 documents, but there is nothing in the White House. If you go to the White House files to Jimmy Carter or Reagan or any of these, you will not find the word remote viewing. You will not find any documents. Well, interesting. I I didn't didn't know that. And yet you get Jimmy Carter, if you look in his last book, the White House Diary or whatever he called it, his diary, he actually talks about being briefed by Stansfield Turner on a crash in Northern Africa. And he talks about the fact that there's this psychic, he calls it a psychic, is brought in. And this uh, woman identifies, and he calls it a two-engine plane. He said the American intelligence officials were trying to recover this thing, and they found the thing, according to what the psychic had told him. And Jimmy Carter said, this is the most dramatic thing. That he'd seen in his presidency. He said it was, it was hard to believe, but the facts were undeniable. That's what he said. The yeah, we is, just had Russell Targ on a couple of weeks ago, and he gave us a nice uh, little uh, recounting of that particular incident. Yeah. And, and yet, yeah, Jimmy Carter, here's how you change the facts. Jimmy Carter calls it a two-engine plane. And Targ, if you had him on, he probably said it was a, is a TU-22 Tupolev, uh supersonic bomber that the Russians had converted into an intelligence platform. And they were flying it, and this intelligence plane had gone down in northern africa and that's why the intelligence was scrambling to get it before the russians got it so when you hear the remote remote viewing people are telling but when jimmy carter tells the story he said it was an american two-engine plane so that's why i'm saying that's how they changed the story you fictionalize the story you put jimmy carter puts the story out but when you get into the background the story is completely different it's something completely different happened the basic story is true but all the the facts are changed to protect the innocent. Plausible Um, deniability. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what I say is going on. And in the book, we make this case, and I say it's really dramatic, that if you take a look at the Emenigar documentary in the 1970s, if you take a look at that UFO cover-up live in the 1980s, if you look at the documents that have been dumped, this dumping of this core story into the into the UFO community and we run around, we can't confirm anything, we tell the story, it becomes basically our worldview. And you get a situation where now vast majority of people believe there's life in outer space. Forty eight percent of people believe that UFOs are, are extraterrestrial type stuff. And uh, Grant,
1: Grant, let me yeah. just stop you on the latter one. The last survey I heard about the number of Americans who believe in UFO reality of their spaceships, whatever it was down to about a third of the people. That was the one that was taken by the people who produced the UFO, Chasing UFOs TV series. Last year, they commissioned a new survey. And I know if you go back to the earlier surveys in the early 2000s, in the yeah, 1980s, well, yeah, well, 90s, ra- it was
7: roughly half. Okay, if you take a look at that and you take a look at Dr. Victor Stanger, who is sort of that, one of the high priests of the New Atheist Movement, he's very upset about the fact that we teach the random theory of evolution in, in, in school and only 16% of people in the United States believe it, according to him. And he's very upset and he wants to write a book that says that there is no God and, and evolution and you can't say there's evolution but still a God. You have one or the other. So this uh, random theory of evolution has got 16%. We're still doing pretty good whether it's 33 or 48. The idea is getting out there. I like your way of thinking. Uh, yeah, it's three steps forward, two steps back, always. Yeah. I, if you go to my website, I have an article in my article section, which is called The 64 Reasons Why They've Decided Not to Tell You the Truth. And what I say is there is actual, if you look at it the other side, and if you're the president and, and I look at why did Jimmy Carter flip, why did Gerald Ford flip, what did they tell him when he got into the White House and made him change teams and decide we're going to cover this thing up. You, you look at it and you, there is actually fairly good reasons why they're covering the thing up. That's why, but they can't have people not knowing anything. If this thing does get, out of control and there is a crash they can't control or there's a document they can't control, they've got to be able to have this sort of thing. Well, we, we were saying this all along. You can't be stuck with total denial. Right. It's like venting uh, pressure out of a steam. Uh, what do you call those things?
2: A pressure cooker. It's like you got to like lift the lid off every now and then to to let out some of the steam and, and, and decrease the pressure. Well, that leads me to a really good question from Aldo Poe. Again, another poster at forum.theparacast.com. Is there any chance of a disclosure? And if so, will it be spoon-fed gently or all at once? Um, you know, we've been talking about a gradual disclosure process that appears to be taking place here. But And is there any truth to the idea that one of the clandestine government agencies has given a script to Hollywood to get us used to the idea? Which leads us into a whole other realm of uh, of thinking. But what are your th- feelings about disclosure? Uh, I Get a sense that you think that we 're being fed these these like bits of fictionalized facts, and they 're constantly taking the pressure off the subject. Other countries are releasing data possibly to take pressure off the United States. Where
7: do you come down on the whole disclosure question i don 't think there 's going to be a, a clean disclosure because you have to protect the classified material you 're still working on the sort of the military hardware, the weapon stuff, the, all the applied technology that 's involved. And that's what they have to protect. So they're not going to sort of Drop that. The, the second reason I don't think it's going to be disclosure is because you can't have the president put in a position where he doesn't have the answers. The president is the guy who knows everything. The economy is under control. We Everything is going great. And if you have a, an open, complete disclosure, you're going to have the president standing up there, and within five minutes, somebody's going to ask him the question Mr. President, you're constitutionally responsible for the protection of the American people. It's been estimated that millions of people have been abducted by these aliens. What are you doing to stop it? And the and president you know has no idea.
1: We can't answer that question. With the pre- president's going to say because we have to do this break grand cameron joining jean and chris you're in the Paracast.
13: is there a secret ufo agenda do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth is there evidence for mind control time travel Are devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and affording phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. That's Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know.
5: We've lived in this neighborhood for years. We have an alarm system and all of our doors have deadbolts. They kicked in our door and were in and out of our house in about five minutes. The police arrived in about 20 minutes, but they were long gone with our TV, jewelry and my guns. I kept thinking, what if my family had been home? The police officer said that more than 85% of break-ins are through a door and that deadbolts alone don't stop intruders. The officer told me to go to easyarmor.net if we wanted something that would actually stop an intruder. Easy Armor reinforces all of the weak points on your doors and is guaranteed to prevent kick-ins. I was surprised at how little Easy Armor costs. And I installed Easy Armor in about 30 minutes.
6: Visit EasyArmor.net. That's the letters E-Z-A-R-M-O-R.net. Or call 888-58-ARMOR. That's 888-582-7667. EasyArmor.net. Ultimate door security made easy
17: gardeners here comes another growing season but don't use last year's soil maximize yields in your survival garden with em1 from terragonics em1 is an organic soil conditioner fertilizer amendment and compost accelerant that provides a broad spectrum of beneficial microorganisms enzymes trace minerals vitamins and various organic acids em1 helps regulate the soil's ph level and its soil microbes improving moisture retention and drought tolerance remember last year's dry conditions em1 from terragonics is safe chemical free and certified for use on all organic farms it Improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, and gives up to 20% more nutrient value in fruits and vegetables and greatly increases shelf life. And EM1 is so simple to use, just mix with water and apply. This year, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. TerraGanics, life's getting better.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: All right, Grant, so you're saying the president probably would say he has no idea if asked, But he then can. why even assume? Why assume that disclosure, if it happens, were a forced disclosure, would originate from the United States and not in other countries? Can you do a question? I'm not understanding the question. Well, nobody would believe it, Gene. Well, that's part of it, too. But if we had forced disclosure, we we always think the President of the United States gets out and he's going to reveal this information. But why assume it has to come from the United States? Why not some other country that has compelling evidence and feels the need... At this point, to make that revelation,
2: well, like the it, rumors
7: that the Chinese are going to divulge okay. that there 's uh, structures on the back side of the moon, okay, if you ever interview Scott Jones, you ask him about talking to the Chinese. Scott Jones was uh representative he 's worked for Claiborne Pell, he did mostly parapsychology stuff because Claiborne Pell really wasn 't that interested in UFOs, but he did uFOs parapsychology type stuff reporting to Claiborne Pell, and he would go around the, the world. He went to the Russians, he went to the Chinese. And Scott told me that one of the problems was when he was there is everybody thought he was working on behalf of the, the government, that he he spoke for the government, and because that's the way their system works. If you're from their government, you're, there's only one voice. And he just said, no, I'm, I'm just working for a senator. I'm really not – and nobody would really believe him. He asked the Chinese, he said, you know, why don't you disclose? And I believe – don't quote me, but I believe Scott was told – if and when the Americans disclose, we will be a close second. So it seems to it seems to hinge on the United States. People will say that other governments are disclosing, but they're not disclosing. There's, there's always been the story about the Canadians, the British. They're not. They're releasing sighting files. They're releasing the garbage. The they're actual taking pop- the pressure off the United States, basically. Would you assume yeah, then the, that I there is some kind of agreement
1: maybe in the U.N. not to disclose this except well, they bl- they through they the U.S.? The UN.
7: They, they blocked it in the UN with, uh, the, the Americans. The, if you go through the, the Eric Gary story, where Gary was trying to get it, you, you get all this, uh, and I'm not. I haven't read it for a number of years, but you get all this stuff about the Americans blocking uh, the vote at the UN to get this Outer Space Committee that Eric Gary wanted. It was the Americans that were behind that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Americans have deals. When we asked Dr. Eric Walker, at one point we were asking him about, uh, you know, is, is there still 12 people on MJ-12? Is it all Americans? We were asking all that, and he basically seemed to confirm that it was more than 12, and it wasn't all Americans. So there seems to be some sort of international agreement to keep the lid on this thing. And as to the well, material, wasn't the U.N. involved in the Grenada
2: uh, conference that uh, valet uh, uh, helped spearhead with Hynek, I think, back
7: in the 70s? Uh, wasn't that under some sort of uh, U.N. auspices? Yeah, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't uh, an official thing. The main thing that the Americans were blocking was the vote, that they wanted to set up a committee.
12: Right.
2: A, a well, stand- I was going
7: to point committee. out that, that the president of Grenada, who was very progressive,
2: Um, At the time was the one that uh, agreed to host this. And then I think a short time later,
7: (laughs) he he, he he was was at at the U.N. when he got overthrown. He was actually then he was overthrown. Right. Yeah, he was. So, well, so doesn't he, that answer he, the can,
1: question of why he was overthrown?
7: Yeah. So, you, I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, there there's a lot of uh, movements to keep this off any official agenda. And when it comes to uh, other documents in other countries, I, I think that they're not releasing them to take pressure off the Americans. I'm thinking they're releasing them to get themselves out, like the British, for example, say we're going to release this because there's nothing to it and we're getting out of the program. You can't say we're not interested in UFOs and we're not studying UFOs if it's known that you've got documents. So what they're doing is they're taking the same position as the Americans did in 1969, is you dump all the files, all the sighting the, the files, then you take the position that we're not really involved, there's no extraterrestrials visiting, there's no hard evidence, and then you can research in secret, especially today with computers. You don't need to have people on the ground. You can basically, as Ronald Pendolfi, the top scientist at the I said, we cannot control the phenomena, so we watch the people in the field. We watch the researchers, what's happening with them, and they're basically just watching us because they really don't have any control over the phenomena. That's what I think is very easy to research now. You, if you want to Sounds like about abductions, a feedback can, loop to me. Yeah, if you want to know abductions, you can tap into five computers. You'll know all the latest abduction material that's out there, who's being investigated, all the sighting stuff. That's why I say to UFO people, uh, I got in the consciousness thing, and I said that when it comes down to sighting files... We're just basically doing the government's job for them, and sightings don't get you anywhere. We've we've run that course 40 years ago. We're not learning anything from sightings. You've got to get off sightings and, and get into consciousness. But in terms of sightings, we, basically, we're just filing it for them. They can plug into your computer and nothing's secret, and you're just working for the government.
2: Well, that, that leads me to a whole list of other questions that I'm going to try to synopsize here uh, from Blabby Boy. And I guess we know why he calls himself that now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and this, this gets into the whole idea of informants, and we kind of touched on this a little bit with your yeah. uh, information about George Knapp and, and how he had uh, just these wonderful sources of information that came forward about Area 51 uh, before he broke the story. But do you get the impression that you, in in one sense, but but that investigators, I, I think in general, are, are just pawns in a bigger game of disclosure? Absolutely. And, and, and how do you verify that informants are who they say they are without, obviously, um, I'm putting a little addendum here, without spending copious amounts of time and money to, uh, to research them? And have you ever been duped by an
7: informant that you know of? And what did you learn from that duping process, if anything? Very good question. Let me sort of point this out. I have never, and George Knapp confirms he has never been contacted by an inside. Government source. I'm, I'm kind of a special case because I'm actually not an American. So if you want to be releasing classified material to a non-American, you're really in trouble. I have never been contacted. George Knapp has never been contacted by uh, an inside whistleblower, which begs the question. Len Stringfield. Now, I'm not sure whether it was 200 or 300. I have never been contacted by anybody who said that they were involved in an autopsy, in a crash, where they had bodies, this sort of stuff. Directly someone contacting me. And yet you take a look at Len Stringfield had, and I'm not sure if it was 200 or 300 people came to him. So why does he have 200 to 300 coming to him and I've got nobody? It's almost as if, they're sending all the people to Len Stringfield. Another one is Carrie Cassidy. I have never had a whistleblower come to me. Carrie Cassidy's got like 100, 200, whatever she's got. So why well, are all the whistleblowers going to her? Well, why are all the whistleblowers going to her? Why are all the, crash, the uh, autopsy people going to Len Stringfield? It's like they're feeding this story. It's the same story that, that I've been through before. So it, like it sort meme <laughs> amplifiers, basically, is what you're saying, and they're being fed. Yeah. So, like a lot of people say, well, you have to vet your stuff and you've got to have it from more than one source. That means nothing because, I mean, so you get five different government people. You say, okay, you go and tell them this story. You go tell them this story. The guy's got five different people coming from five different agencies telling the same stories. And he said, look, I've got it all confirmed. I got five different witnesses and they're all coming from the same source. So it's a vicious sort of circle, but it does indicate when you take a look at Len Stringfield and you look at the the, uh, Kerry Cassidy, that this is some sort of controlled thing, that they are actually feeding certain people a story that they want out. Aside from Len Stringfield is
1: concerned, I knew him slightly back in the 70s and had some pleasant conversations with him and talked about his research. He's really a sweet guy, Gene. Yeah, really nice guy, really nice guy. As far as Kerry Cassidy is concerned... Well, I don't take Project Serpo seriously. I don't take much of anything she does seriously, but that's just me, I guess.
7: Okay, let me a point okay. On. You
1: can answer the question on the other side. Okay, okay all right. Good. This, this is important. Okay, all right. We have Grant Cameron, who with Scott Crane wrote UFOs, Area Fifty-One, and in Government Informants. I sense he's champing at the bit to respond to what I said. With Gene and back. Chris, you're in the gas.
14: You've heard about our MRE Smorgasbord. Now, Long Life Food Depot introduces the most unique, safe, and longest-lasting way to stash emergency food, the Eat Pod. Most survival food products recommend an ideal storage environment, including low temps, low moisture, and low oxygen. If you're storing in a basement too humid, garages and attics too hot, but the waterproof, double-walled, high-density polyethylene patent-pending Eat Pod is a unique roll-away food bunker that creates the perfect condition can be buried up to 30 feet and can keep your survival food supply safe, secure, dry and virtually undetectable for 25 years or more. Get full details on The EatPod at eatpod.com spelled E-A-T-P-O-D dot or call 800-601-2833. That's 800-601-2833. The Eat Pod from Long Life Food Depot. Since 1983, sending real food to your real future.
12: Is there such a thing as gluten-free emergency kits?
17: Yes. And for celiacs, there is no other than glutenfreeemergencykits.com. If you or a loved one has celiac disease, you need a gluten-free emergency kit to survive. Our kits are natural, non-GMO, low-sodium, low-cholesterol, soy-free, contain no artificial colors or MSG, and carry the celiac sprue seal of approval. Now get our March Grab and Go bucket special for only $29.99 at glutenfreeemergencykits.com. Glutenfreeemergencykits.com. Better foods, better living.
18: US one in every 50 homes will have a break in this year. Burglar's call it smash and grab. Police call it robbery. We call it avoidable. We are Fake TV. A simple electronic device that can fool even professional burglars. Fake TV easily plugs into any outlet and simulates the changing colors of a television. To a burglar, it looks like someone must be home watching TV, so they'll likely move on to an easier target. At only $29.95, Fake TV costs less than a month of most alarm monitoring plans and comes with free shipping. Order your Fake TV by calling 877-532-5388. Or go to faketv.com. That's 877 532 5388 or faketv.com. Fake TV, the burglar deterrent. This
3: is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
1: You see, now listeners have come to digest what I said. I don't take Carrie Cassidy too seriously. I think partly because my interactions with her and, of course, the Project Serpo thing.
7: But obviously you disagree, right,
1: Grant Cameron?
7: Right. I, I thought Project Serpo was the stupidest thing I'd ever read. I gave a lecture at Congress. <laughs> it a number of years oh, ago. Okay, you, let me tell you something. It read to me
1: as if it was written by a teenager describing yep. a ufo kind of experience or this foreign exchange program with et and this dwelling on bathroom movements and stuff like that i thought these are 11 year old kids writing this stuff
7: yeah exactly so we talked about at the beginning of the show we talked about disinformation you're familiar with the the pilkington's book what's it called name escapes me mirage man okay so he writes the book and the basic premise of the book is this is all disinformation It's just you know government games and this sort of stuff in the interview, I think it's about page 235, you go there, and he interviews Dr. Kit Green, who was, before Ronald Pendolphi, the analyst at the CIA who was rumored to be the guy in control of the UFO files. That he, he was there when the C- – Well, when do, you, the- do you know what he actually does? Uh, he's a medical doctor, you know what his specialty
2: is? He's a neurosurgeon. Yeah, he no. helps design psychologically active uh, psychotronic uh, warfare platforms based on my limited knowledge.
7: Okay, so in this interview, uh, I believe it's Pilkington's interviewing him, and he's in Detroit, and he starts talking about this whole thing, and he talks about Serpo, and Kit Green says, no, no, you, you don't throw it out. And I'm going, what the heck? And you read the interview. I, I won't try to paraphrase it, but basically he's saying, no, don't discount it. And basically indicated that there was classified material in there, that there's, there's some truth in it. It's the same thing. you got the truth. It's surrounded by all this garbage stuff, type stuff. Another thing happened was I was in contact indirectly with put off from time to time. And Eric Davis, who works for him. And at one point, um, Hell contacted me, very rarely contacts me. And he asked me about the Serpo thing. And I really said, well, it's garbage. And, and then I heard that he was, he was watching it, that Eric Davis was saying, oh, you know, he's reading this stuff. And why is he wasting his time on this? And I'm thinking, why would Hal put off be reading this stuff? And why would Kit Green be taking this stuff seriously? Because they have this sort of background where they realize there's some classified material in here and there's, there's something to it. And in the book, when you read the, the Mirage Man, book the guy says he actually starts to sweat he can't believe that kit green's actually saying this kind of stuff that he's sort of discounting this and kit green actually describes in there and we quoted a couple of times in the book where kit green says what would you do if you were facing this problem sort of if you were the government what would you do well you put out all these crazy stories about aliens eating your kids and all this kind of stuff and then when the story breaks the whole story then comes down to it's just et's visiting and everybody goes "What, what they're not eating our kids?'" No, no, it's just ETs. Oh, what's what's so big about that? And he's talking about this acclimatization thing. And it's in the book. It's in Pilkington's book. And you can see Kit Green actually describes this hypothetical thing of the possibility that we are being uh, desensitized to what's actually going on. And, and he's a high-level guy. And Kit Green is not like, if you take Pandolfi, I mean, he's, he's always goofing around or whatever, or people. Kit Green is always like a straight shooter. He says, what yeah, he you know, yeah. if it's classified, he doesn't talk about it. But he's not noted for putting out BS.
2: I uh, know. Or the, one of the other enigmatic figures, I think, in this particular circle is Dan Smith, who's yeah. somebody that's always uh, intrigued me. He's, he's kind of like a guy that comes across kind of goofy and new-agey. But he exactly. knows too many of the right wrong people. And too much do do? of
7: the weirdest sounding stuff that may be plausible. So and and, and that's my impression of what goes on. You, same as with, with Lazar, you send it to John Lear, who nobody's gonna believe, and Pandolfi. and I've interviewed Dan Smith a number of times, I read his stuff everything i parsed every word that he says he was <laughs> ronald pendolfi's best man at his as at his recent yeah. wedding he's had over a thousand conversations if you're ronald pendolfi and you want something out you give it to dan smith because oh, everybody's yeah. going to say oh dan smith the guy gets kicked off boards he's 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 crazy guy and nobody's going to believe him same as nobody's going to believe john lear so that's now how about gordon novel there there's one for you there's a name for you a, a good buddy of uh, all these uh, before mentioned names Yeah, and and I talk about in the book I have the POTUS briefing thing where he's running around, he does an interview with New Realities with Alan Steinfeld, and in there he holds up this this script that he has that he's trying to get to Steven Spielberg. Well, well, he actually got development money, I think, uh, to develop it, didn't he? I'm not sure where they got the development him, but I know he held this script up. And I managed to get a copy of the script. And the, the key is, it, it a, it's a proposal for a script to Steven Spielberg. And if you listen to Dan Smith, Dan Smith says that Ronald Pendolfi met with Spielberg twice. So you take that and you, you can sort of, you know, believe it, disbelieve That's it, whatever you want. So the whole thing was, he he has this thing on there. And I say... Everybody's sort of now talking about it's a, a hoax government document. Nobody said it was a government document. All it is is a script that the Robert, no- the Gordon Novell was trying to get through, and it was called POTUS briefing. And on the front cover, and we you see this interview, he gets really upset. He says, look at this, I've got the CIA symbol, I've got the White House symbol on here, and they're backing this, and he's got Dr. Ronald Pandolfi's name on it. And that was, to me, was the most significant thing. He's running around on interviews, he's talking about this, and it's got Pandolfi, who's the top scientist at the CIA, got his name on the front of a disclosure proposal movie to Steven Spielberg. To me, you have to have some sort of government authorization for him to be running around. There's no way they're going to let Novell run around with this script, which I've now recovered, which was basically written by um, uh, Dolan and Jim Mars, who basically helped him write the thing. And then you get really. This, oh, I had no idea. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and then the other thing was. Yeah, Paracast listeners, somebody take a note of that one. And and the other thing that interested me that sort of it showed that there was cooperation from Pandolfi at the CIA was I'm good friends with Bob Emmeriger, and everybody knows that. And I see him quite often. I go down there every year, every second year, and I'm talking to him. And all of a sudden, he says to me, he says. Oh, I got a phone call from Ron Pandolfi. And I said, you got a phone call from Ron Pandolfi? Why would this guy at the CIA be phoning you? You're not in UFOs. You haven't been in UFOs for years. And he said, oh, it had to do with Gordon Novell. And Gordon Novell had this thing, this uh, you know, this uh, alien re- re- reproduction vehicle thing. And I had the diagrams and he wanted me to do some PR for him. And I sort of agreed to this. And I think it's all nonsense. And Well,
2: Grant, let's go ahead and, and kind of backtrack a little bit here. And I... I- should have qualified the name Gordon Novell, or novel as I call him, because everything he does seems like it's fiction. Um, I mean, this this is one of the more enigmatic figures that's been skirting around the shadows of ufology and, and, and conspiracy uh, circles for years, and he died, I think, about a year ago. Yeah, But very good friends with Hal Putoff and uh, Ron Pandolfi. But he's been rumored as one of the shooters at the JFK assassination. If you talk to someone like Ken Thomas from Steam Shovel Press, he has a dossier on Gordon Novell that, that'll blow your mind. I remember seeing uh, the sightings program about the the Black Forest, uh, Stan Lee uh, hauntings and, and E.T. presence back in, in the mid-90s. And uh, this was a, a big case for a while uh, in Colorado. And... At one point, <laughs> Stan went out because he, he he saw a prowler, and he, he claims it was Gordon uh, Novell who was up his telephone pole doing something to his his telephone lines. Yeah, I mean the guy. Uh, the guy got around. Uh, what do you think
7: of the, of characters like this? Who? Well, that, they're that's that's the point. They're the characters. That's who you release the stuff to because nobody's going to take them seriously. You go to people like Lazar, you go to Dan Smith, you go to Novell. If you want something important, because everybody's going to sort of listen, but they're not going to really take it seriously. God, like, oh, Gordon Novell, that's Dan Smith. Nobody really takes that seriously, and you're dropping stuff into the into this uh, into the UFO community through these guys because it, it's, it gives you this plausible deniability thing and, and just the, the story's getting out, whether it's a phony document or a bad witness or or whatever it is, you're getting the story out, but you can you stop the milk from spilling. If you want the cover-up to end, if you really wanted something out there, you'd go to the New York Times, you'd go to the Washington Post, it would be out. They're not doing that. They're doing this sort of a half-half move, and that's why Novell is so important. And, and well, when Do it came- you think there's a cabal, let's say, in Hollywood that maybe... Part and parcel of this whole
2: thing, and maybe complicit in some sort of program of dissemination through the uh, development of uh, co development of scripts with the intelligence agencies, that sort of thing. You've been hearing this for years that Hollywood is involved in this gradual disclosure process. N- now you're saying Spielberg uh, met with Ron Pindolfi twice. That's news to me. I'll tell you uh, what, so- we'll
1: have so much more news to come with <laughs> Grant Cameron, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs>
15: so much and having a fake tv well it gives added peace of mind
18: burglars look for houses that appear to be easy targets but fake tv can fool even professional burglars into thinking someone is home watching television
9: as a recent widow living alone it gives me great peace of mind to set my fake tv near a window and know that passing motorists and pedestrians will think someone is home watching tv when i'm actually away from home
18: fake tv easily plugs into any outlet
15: and they're so easy to use you just plug them in and they're ready to go plus they're so affordable that we have one upstairs
5: and downstairs
18: fake tv is only 29.95 with free shipping order your fake tv by calling 877-532-5388 or go to fakeTV.com. that's 877-532-5388 or fakeTV.com. fake tv the burglar deterrent the american people think they live in a constitutional republic land of the free home of the brave right just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad irs Instead, use escapeharassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law. And it works. Escape harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 seven nine zero zero nine That's 877 457 Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works.
5: Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening
14: to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me.
1: As you see, ladies and gentlemen, this subject is so complex, you know, just the sightings themselves is probably the tip of the iceberg
7: because
2: well you've got to know the players and you have to know, oh, you know the and and,
7: and that 's part of the problem of getting disclosure is you, you need a reporter who's going to spend a year on it, like a Watergate thing investigation, and nobody inside the media. Has the time to learn all the stuff that you need to know, and they got handcuffs on. They have the
2: time. They just can't do it because nobody's going to allow them to do it. It's all controlled. Yeah, but they
7: but they still have to do their stories. You basically have uh, like Billy Cox, who's who's a prime example. He basically says his editor tolerates what he does. But he really can never really grab onto something. He t- does a story; it has to have a local angle because he's in Florida. Unless it's got a local angle, they don't want to run the story. And there's all these sort of things where the three-day news cycle—you got to do your next story. Some some agency has to get really interested in it and realize that that the, that they can make some money off this or it's a big story. Mo- most editors, I, I don't think it's really the cover-up. It's just they couldn't care less. They just think it's you know uh, crazy stuff. And it's it's the type of well, thing it's flash that, in the pan. It's just fodder for yeah. uh, you and, and know. And let for... me give you let me give an example. This is a story that you know the story about Webster Hubble was asked by, by Bill Clinton to go out and find out the answer to two questions who killed J F K and are there UFOs? And when I filed for FOIA, I filed for the, the UFO stuff and I got thousands of pages. And when I filed for the J F K assassination stuff at the Clinton Library, they got seven and a half thousand pages. So he asked him to go out and do this kind of stuff. He puts it in his book, nineteen ninety seven book, Friends in High Places. And Deborah Oren, who works for the New York Post, is the woman who asks the questions the next day at the news conference about this Hubble thing. And she stands up and she says, is it true? Mr. Hubble said that. Clinton sent him out to look for the answer to UFOs, is this true? And he walks around it with this uh, live al- or this alien thing about this uh, Weekly World News. to has this alien. So he said, no, we gave it to the, to the alien. That was his job to do. And then she comes back. She In his, an interview later, she describes, I come back with a follow-up question, and he walks around it again. He said, I'm not going to comment what private people write in their personal books. And she said, I sat there and waited for the rest of the press, White House press corps for someone to follow up on my question and they yeah, all rolled over it. and played dead because they were afraid that they were going to lose their white house press credentials nobody wanted to ask the stupid question
1: well maybe that is the pressure right there that's it that's the pressure to exert on those who become
7: white house correspondents The question usually goes to the junior reporter, like lots of times when when I'm asked, you know, by a a network or something, uh, you know, you get the girl and she sounds like she's about 23 or 24. And it's like, how did you get stuck with this story? It's, It's like it's never the main guy. It's never a serious attempt. It's basically some junior reporter who got stuck with the UFO story that nobody else wants to do. But part of it also is here, we no longer have
1: investigative reporters and investigative journalism. Even someone like uh, Bob Woodward, right now, other than appearing on political talk shows, he basically right now is just somebody who writes these personal puff pieces if they give him enough information. He's not doing investigative reporting.
7: Yeah. It's this three-day news cycle that, that that we can't break. That everybody's on to the next story, and so you get this sort of a a little blurb of of a UFO story, and it it just dies away.
1: Yeah, but it's the intensity of the story. Now, look at the events in the movie Day the Earth Stood Still, where a UFO lands in Washington, D.C., in this big park. Now, if that happened in the real world, no three-day news cycle would stop that. It's too obvious. It's too blatant.
7: But let me me give you another example. Everybody always says to me, you know, when the president stands up and says this thing's for real, then I'm going to believe it. June the 27th, 1981, President Ronald Reagan stood up and said it was for real. Steven Spielberg tells a story. Reagan stands up at the end of the screening of E.T., the extraterrestrial, at the White House. Sandra Day O'Connor is in the room. The CIA director is in the room. Bush is in the room. The NASA head of NASA is in the room. There's two astronauts in the room. There's 39 people in the room. Reagan stands up and he, at Spielberg's account says he looked around the room like he was doing a head count. And he said, we want to thank you, Steven, for bringing the movie to us and you should know that there are a number of people in this room that know that everything on that screen is absolutely true. The president stood up and said it was for real, didn't go anywhere. Nobody picked up on the story, nobody did anything. Steven Spielberg said, "Oh, I thought it was I thought he was joking even though he wasn't smiling." The story just it just doesn 't get any any legs at any point that, that you get all these things that you think are going to go the Medvedev thing with the, the Soviet. I went after that story, and everybody said they got into this big argument is he telling the truth is he not telling the truth and i said it 's irrelevant let 's get to the bottom we 've got to get to the reporter. I wrote a letter in Russian to the reporter, and I said, Why did you ask the question?" because it had indicated that he had answered the question for her before, because he said for the last time. That's how he started the response. And I couldn't get her to respond. But that's what happens is we, we get a story like uh, the, the prime minister of Russia coming out and saying, yes, we get briefed, and there's, there's aliens among us and all this kind of stuff, and it, the story doesn't go anywhere. Nobody picks up on the story. I try to get the reporter to, to answer, the, and she's a top reporter for the the private, the biggest private network in the, in the Soviet Union. She's the top reporter. So it wasn't a low-level reporter asking the question, and the story just dies. It doesn't go anywhere. I tried to revive the story. I tried to do updates, and nobody could care less after the first day. Everybody was on to the next UFO story and the next thing. What's What else is new? That's what happens.
1: What else is new is we're almost out of time. We have a few more minutes left. Chris, are there any more questions left?
2: Uh, I, don't, I, I think we pretty much covered the gamut. I, I was able to condense a lot of questions into uh, a single question, so I think we're pretty good. I, I really... I was quite amazed that uh, Med. How do you say his name? Med Med, Med Medvedev. 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 I, I'm surprised. Medvedev. I mean, it, it did have a resurgence uh, when he actually, you know, came forth with another statement uh, that was commenting about the first statement, and 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 that to me was really telling. The very fact that he would even bring it up again to I'm, me. I'm I'm not I mean, sure. that denoted the, the, some seriousness there. I, I, I think that there was a joke, obviously, implied, and, and it was couched in, in a joke. But I think, I think he was sending a signal there.
7: Yeah, the encouraging thing about that is the, the reporter that asked the question, um, he refers to this men in black thing, which was not the Hollywood doc, uh, movie. It was a documentary that that network, PEN, had done in the Soviet Union on UFOs. It was called Men in Black. So that's what he's referring to is the documentary. And uh, um, Bruce McAbee had dis- described the fact that he had been interviewed by the same network for another UFO documentary. So what I'm hoping that happens is the reason they asked the question was for this new UFO documentary, uh, which I don't know when it will be out, but we'll see if there's another documentary. And the, the network actually explains why they asked the question and what the other question was that they asked them think that there was uh, some sort of signal being sent. Maybe he'd been paid off by the production company
2: to do a little pre-publicity <laughs> or something. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring up the name Bruce McAbee in and in, in the acronym CIA in the same sentence. Uh, there's been been a little rumbling lately that uh, that uh, Mr. Mackabee's uh, or Doctor uh has. Had some long-standing ties with the intelligence services, and uh, came in Tempo and uh, some other uh, uh, potential cutout organizations. Uh, it, it brings to mind the um, the conference in Washington D.C. I think back in eighty-seven, where the whole abduction thing really first burst uh, forth on the uh, on the ufological community as as a major topic of discussion. How that may have been manipulated somewhat. I, you know, I don't really. <laughs> Grant, we got to have you back for another show, man. We're just yeah. we just giving an. Well, let me just deal with that, Maccabee
7: because I think what you're talking uh, what I, uh, you're talking about. That's what I said. That there is this interaction between this weird desk at the CIA, this UFO desk. Uh, he first got involved in '79, and that was with Kit Green. And Kit Green made this controversial statement to him that there was 15,000 pages of UFO documents when the CIA was saying there was only a 1,000, and that sort of backfired. And then Ronald Pendolfi brought him in in 83 to speak at the CIA, and Maccabees statement was, well, it was at lunchtime, and it was just a, a lecture whoever wanted to, sh- to show up. But there's been all these incidents Forever, uh, There's a story about Dick Hall having the, the phone line put in by the CIA, and he was reporting s- reports to the CIA through this same thing. That he was funneling this stuff that they're interacting, and Bill Moore tells a story. We repeat it in the book that Bill Moore tells a story about J. Allen Hynek, that with the Benowitz thing, that J. Allen Hynek provided Benowitz with a computer. I'll tell that- you what, we got to stop it there. We're out okay. of time.
2: I've never heard that one. I love it. Oh, we have this, you know what? He just gave
1: us room for another show. The oh, book boy, is called UFOs, Area 51, and Government Informants. Grant, you got a site people can check out?
7: PresidentialUFO.com.
1: Very good. And Chris has OurStrangePlanet.com. And we've got ThePowerCast.com on Twitter. We are The PowerCast. Grant Cameron, thank you so much for joining us on The PowerCast. Thanks for your interest.